This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans. How are you doing? Are you cold? No. Uh, can you hear the dog bur- dogs barking? No. Usually whenever whenever you're concerned about a noise, there's no noise. And when you can't okay. hear a noise, then there usually is a noise. And it's very uh, intrusive. All right. Well, there's a lot of dogs outside, just to let you know. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. And yeah. we have we have a special guest tonight. You know, we typically never have guests on this show. This is a new concept to us. We're trying something different out tonight. We have Hunter Dusing, one of the hosts of the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast, a great podcast. How are you doing tonight, Hunter? I am doing well. I'm very happy to be here with you all this this evening. What is this background? What is that? Is that James Corden set? What? It's Parks, I, Parks and Recreation, right? Yeah, it's Parks and Recreation. Yeah. This, oh. is, this is my uh, my normie <laughs> background for, you know, all my Zoom meetings for you know all the zoom meetings we had during lockdown you know yeah i just assume everything is james corden related that's why i took a stab at that i mean it could be if you wanted it to be i would prefer that hans yeah. do you think you could plump up like no. james corden to be friendlier <laughs> to be friendlier that would make me meaner because i would just hate myself more <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just being just more of an but asshole for all the nasty things you say you know you'd have these big round jolly cheeks so people would think you're you're being cute you know just just fuller no yeah. i'm okay i'm, good, I'm sure I'm there's a there, there's got to be like a zoom uh filter that lets you be james corden and cats you know oh yeah that would be oh. <laughs> that would be great to have a you know a zoom filter that does add like 20 pounds to your face like the red face <laughs> app that would be terrific that's mean though that's mean you can't do that it's too mean so it's not fun you know, it would be it, well, it would be, be good on zoom if you could like set other people's cameras to that, like if we have civic TV. <laughs> yeah. So you can see, only you can see them like that. Are <laughs> <laughs> we never afraid of your buffs? Cause it's always just a fat woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about, uh, we're talking about a pretty obscure film this evening. And uh, maybe we can branch out into the general filmography of, of the director who helmed that film. We're going to be talking about, the Sicilian, which is a 1987 film. Am I, am I correct mm. about that? Can anybody yep. fact check? I that? believe so. Yes. 87. Yes. Okay. And this is from uh, Michael Camino, who, who directed You're the Dragon, which we covered on this show only a couple of weeks back. Uh, that still mm-hmm. might be my, my favorite film of his. Hans, you've, you've uh, mm-hmm. only further soured on it since we recorded that, I, I can assume. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't really thought of it at all. Uh, but I don't have any fond memories of it. So, so uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's soured, but it hasn't improved, I guess. Especially when, I don't know when you mentioned it. You mentioned it in maybe, what, a couple of episodes ago? I don't remember, but you just brought back memories. of how. Well, well we were like, talking about uh, JFK <laughs> with Cisco, and, and you oh, got right. into You're the Drag. He brought that up and how you persuaded him to not like that movie, listening to you yeah. on the show, which is outrageous. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the power of conversation. That I have when when my arguments are oh my god that was terrible <laughs> why because it sucks <laughs> why is it bad I don't know yeah I don't know it was just bad because it's terrible yeah it's like this movie there's gonna be a lot of arguments coming from me about this movie that are just like oh, it's just I just hate him I don't think you know? I just that's, don't think you that's like a lot his of directing style I think that might be it Hunter what what are your thoughts on Year of the Dragon. Uh, I love it. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember liking it when I saw it. I haven't. Uh, I listened to you guys talk about it, but um, 
it's been a few years. I picked up the Warner Archive Blu-ray recently, though, and uh, getting back into Chimino lately has made me want to uh, revisit more of his movies. Mm. Yeah, I, I do intend on giving Heaven's Gate another watch. And also, there, you know, there's so many movies he wound up directing uh, from like the mid 80s to uh, late 90s that just kind of aren't discussed at all. Nobody really cares about them. And they have like legitimate stars. But I know me, he worked with Mickey Rourke again um, on a film from I think like 91 or so. That's Desperate Hours. Yeah. Have you seen that? I have not. No, it's got Anthony Hopkins. I haven't seen that or Sun Chaser. Uh, I think those are the only ones of his I haven't seen with Sun Chaser being his last film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm very curious to check those out and see what the, the level of mm-hmm. quality uh, was there and if, if he was able to maintain a certain uh, standard of that, uh, especially working with Mickey Rourke who uh, absolutely kills it in Year of the Dragon. On this go-around, we have uh, Christopher Lambert as the the star playing Italian, but he's clearly oh, not Italian. I am a Sicilian. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm from Sicily. <laughs> the only man I've ever seen that never blinks, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that, but he's, his eyes are always this, and there's no <laughs> blinking ever in the whole movie. That was very off-putting. It's just like, what? Aren't your eyes dry? It's like in the middle of... It looks like it's Italy, but it looks dry as fuck there. And then he just... The whole movie is very intense. I, no, no I think blinking the, at all. I think directors like liked him during this time because he had this sort of presence out of time. Like, he looked like he just walked out of some alien dimension. Yeah. <laughs> like, not not human. Like, yes. th- this is how a, how an alien thinks that a human would act and speak and walk and react to things. Just, yeah. Very, very weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only... And the, and the only other uh, performance from him that I remember was Highlander, but there it fits because it's like a you know a guy has been living for however many years, so the fact that he acts weird is like, well, it makes sense, right? right. But here... I don't know. <laughs> Everyone, like, I, I couldn't figure out who was Italian. I think the only character that actually felt Italian here, I wrote it down, is the uh, Don Massino, uh, the bald guy. And the only reason why I thought he was Italian is because he thought that his son was gay just because he was smart. And that's the most Italian <laughs> thing in the world. Because <laughs> it's like, my, his son, they're talking about how his son is like this scientist or whatever the fuck. And he's like, yeah, but he's still fucking gay. So no, uh, he's not, he's not a fighter. He's not a whatever. And that was the only Italian thing <laughs> in this whole movie that I could, you know, pinpoint as an Italian. Everything else, even, uh, Tortura, who I'm assuming is Italian, right? Either Italian I think or he Puerto is. Rican. Yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't feel Italian to me either. I don't know. I guess it was er, one of his early performances, but even even him, uh, it, it felt very much like like one of those movies where um, where you can tell that it's an actor acting instead of a character. Uh, everyone felt like they were doing a performance instead of you know being that character at least to me. Right, John Honestly- Turturro, uh, I think he was only in To Live and Die in L.A. prior to this movie, or like at least as far as big movies go. So this was a very early role for him. And it could have been a breakout role, you know, if everything went right with it. But uh, that was not the case. And uh, Hunter, you were about to say something. So feel free to pick up. Oh, I was going to say that the <laughs> the fact that nobody feels Italian to me kind of works because that's the way Italian movies feel. Because they're all right. dubbed, they're all dubbed mm-hmm. into oblivion. That's right. And 
this film has it's got all the on location in Italy. Some of the actors are dubbed. It just, it feels like an authentic Italian film as a result. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ADR, right? Or yeah. is it just that it, it it was either that or or everyone just spoke really weird. I don't know. Like it was very difficult to to uh focus on what they were saying sometimes because they were uh, the, the way the words were coming out of the mouth they didn't really fit their face. Uh so at times it did I I, I give you that. They it, it did feel like like what those Italian movies where they just dove over it and it's just terrible. Uh and you just have to put 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 up with it so that you know to enjoy the rest of the movie. The, so the character who's probably the most egregious is the American socialite who demands that uh Giuliano rape her and when he invades her house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she is clearly dubbed. I don't know who's yeah. speaking, but it's not that actor. <laughs> <laughs> It's very weirdly seductive, but but no, even when she's not talking to him, when she's when she's just in that table, just talking to everyone, she's like very very uh like a, a femme fatale from a noir movie, but it, yeah. but here mm-hmm. like doesn't <laughs> completely out of place. Yeah. So Hunter, what why why did you why did you pick this movie for your your guest appearance here? Because this this is probably not a movie we'd wind up covering on on movies. I think I I don't know if I picked it. I think you I, I think we were talking about Chimino and and uh, on Twitter and you were like, hey, you want to co-? and I mentioned the Sicilian, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, we were talking about and, the Sicilian a bit. That's right. And, All right. So and let's, I said, let's, let's say it was a multi, uh, mutual conclusion. <laughs> and you were kind of like, hey, you want to come on the show and talk about? it? I was like, sure. You know, <laughs> sure. sharing the blame. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not know, a- I think it was Hans who picked this. Hans really wanted to watch the Sicilian. That's yeah. what I re- that's what I recall. Anyway, that's my thing. Movies about Italian men. I don't even remember about French. Were you the Italian one that men. were you the one that said that this this was somehow related to uh, Godfather that, in yes, some well, way or the novel? Anyway, I don't know about the film. If any characters overlap, I don't believe so. Uh, I, especially back in the eighties, if they had like a property that existed in a fictional context uh, with another like famous thing. They would usually change the character names or, or, or something along those lines uh, to avoid potential copyright issues or just audience confusion. But yes, this is supposed to take place in the same universe as the, the Godfather uh, novel, at least. Yes. Uh, it's just that, characters. Oh, go oh, well, the novel that Mario Puzo wrote, mm. uh, it takes place when Michael is in Sicily. Uh, it it starts out with Michael in Sicily. He's about to go back to America and he's working with the local mafia to bring uh, Giuliano back with him to America. Uh, and then we get flashbacks to Giuliano uh, smuggling grain and getting shooting a cop and going into hiding and blah, blah, blah. But for the purposes of copyright, obviously they wrote the, they wrote Michael and uh, Clemenza is in the book and Don Corleone, Vito is in the book, <clears throat> but they wrote all of that out for the film uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's virtually no similarities between this and, and The Godfather, aside from, uh, you know, just visual aesthetics filming in Italy, uh, maybe more with Godfather too. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys make of the performances of the two lead actors in this film? I'm considering the two lead actors, Christopher Lambert and John Turturro. Well, uh, Christopher Lambert feels like a man who stepped out of time. And I think that's why Chimino, Chimino insisted on casting him. 
uh, the producers did not want to cast him. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> that was that was Chimino's. Uh, insi- I think he insisted on uh, casting him. They probably wanted to make money. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, Lambert was in a lot of like kind of culty flops. Like uh, yeah. I don't know, was Greystoke a, a hit? I don't think so. Uh, I don't even know what that. I don't know. Is. That's the his. That's the movie where he plays Tarzan. It's like the oh. prestige. It's like the prestige Tarzan movie. It's oh, got Rick God. Baker, apes, and uh, it's pretty good until they get to English society, and then it becomes like Tarzan and polite English society, and it gets really boring. But um, but I think uh, you no, know, I, I know him from Mortal Kombat and from <laughs> Highlander. And yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's the only Christopher Lambert. Right. I, I remember in uh, Southland. Tales, he plays a guy who deals arms out of an ice cream truck. I don't know. <laughs> I that's that's a movie we're getting around. Hans, I don't know if you've seen Southland Tales, but Stan, who no. just had on the show to do the Vincent Gallo movies, has been raving about this Southland Tales since before I can even remember. So I think we're going to wind up covering that soon. Uh, that's so a the very, one that starts to rock. Yeah. It's like a very huge cast of uh-huh. Sean very William random Scott, people. Yeah, The biggest yeah. star of 2003. Yeah. It's yeah, got that yeah. that famous line, "I'm a pimp, and pimps don't commit suicide." And I've seen that on a lot of John McAfee memes lately. So, uh, <laughs> rest in peace, rest yeah. in peace, John McAfee. I had really a wasted opportunity to not have gotten him on this show while he was still alive. He was doing anybody's show. Yeah, he would be on anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of looking just... forward to that the Michael Keaton movie that they have coming out king of the i mean they got to redo the ending now i think but i i'm upset about the fact that i wasn't very familiar with him other than you know him living where he lived and whatever because i saw a video recently about uh this three let's call them island women uh that talk about how he would set up a hammock with a hole on it and have them shit in his mouth yeah <laughs> and he enjoyed Having women shooting, and then they would ask ask them, and did, would he want to do anything sexually? And they're like, "No, no, just the shit." <laughs> uh, and apparently, <laughs> and apparently, uh, they were saying that they were very thankful because he put them through school by paying them so, to shit in his mouth. His so I mean, he's a hero. He's you know saving sure. people in third world countries, giving them an education in exchange for. You know, they're shit. He's a true true libertarian. (laughs) His existence late in life is very, like, uh, it mirrors John Lurie, who we were talking about, where he just kind of moved out to the middle of, like, some island and had took on multiple uh, very ethnic wives. He seemed to be very into that. Uh, Lived a great life, that man. Yeah. Um. But back to Lambert, I think I think the reason Shimino wanted him was he kind of wanted Giuliano to be this sort of Lawrence of Arabia type, like Peter O'Toole, where he's like, mm. he's, too, he's too pure for politics, man. He's like, out, he's above it all. He's not a communist. He's not a Catholic. He's not a, a you know, a, the mafia. He's he's the people. He's the spirit he's of the people. Of he's, he's the man of the people. You know, all he wants to do is feed the people. Um, but I don't know. And I, I kind of get what they're going for casting him, but I think he's kind of Lambert's kind of, like you said, wooden, he doesn't blink. He always looks like an animal who's seeing danger. You know, 
<laughs> well, he has a very like early uh, Val Kilmer thing to him too, where where most of the time his his lips are just like like I don't I don't even know what this is called, but he he's just very dramatically staring with his eyes and just his his mouth. It's like what I don't even know what the word is, but he, he's, he's he looks like Thomas Jane, but like way less emotive. Thomas yes. Jane at yeah. least has like some some faux aggression to him, and he Christopher. Yeah. He, I mean, he doesn't really have much. Much of anything, to be honest with you, um, yeah. Which I, I don't know. I don't know what that does to this character as a result, where he seems like he's coming across like, or he's trying to be noble, letting certain people live who have betrayed him. Um, but you, I mean, you don't really get a sense of much of. I, he doesn't communicate anything to the screen when these things happen. It's just very straightforward dialogue that's delivered. Yeah, and wh- whereas you have. Totoro's character and Totoro is the if if this is the story of Christ uh Totoro is Judas you know he's one of the disciples you know who turns on on our on our hero on our messianic hero <clears throat> and Totoro it to me it kind of uh his performance sort of prefigures the performance he would give in something like uh, Miller's Crossing where he's sort of a wormier character but you know, they try to build their friendship up, but <clears throat> I don't know if they get enough screen time together. And I don't think, I don't know if they really <clears throat> have chemistry because of Lambert's wooden stiffness. Right. Yeah. I think that's what was bothering me anytime they were together. Mm-hmm. And especially from like the jump, you don't get a sense that these characters are comfortable with each other and they're supposed to be. Yes. So, yeah. They, they lack that chemistry where it, it, again, like what you just said, it feels like Christopher Lambert is doing his own thing. John Turturro is like manic and flexible in this role. And I think he does a good job mm-hmm. um, in spite of, you know, obvious flaws in the script and setbacks. But there's just something about them as a duo that doesn't work and feels uh, unnatural. Yeah. Yeah, you don't, you don't get that friendship. And as a result, the betrayal doesn't hit you like it should. Like the scene where he betrays mm-hmm. him does not really yeah. work for me. Well, no one cares yeah. when that happens. Exactly. Even even Lambert is like, ah, fuck it, shoot me. Yeah. Like, and he's and then, then Tortuga is like, no, no. And then Lambert is like, all right. And then he's like, all right, put me shit to me. He's like, oh, and he's like, oh shit, I shot him. He's like, well, why am I supposed to care if you don't care? You know. Well, no, like, he has uh, a very uh, dramatic Dracula esque obey me line. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he uses the voice from Dune. He's like Paul yeah. Atreides. <laughs> obey me. It's there's uh there's some lines too that that uh were very made me very uncomfortable uh because I didn't know if I was supposed to be taking them seriously or not. Like at one point, uh I don't remember which character but he said, uh if it was, I think it was Arturo that said if he was like you or me, he would. But he when when they were thinking about him dying, right? He was at the barbershop, I think. Uh and Torturo says, if he was like you and me, he he would, but he isn't. He decided to live. So he will. And I was like, what the fuck is this? So <laughs> well, this is what's a su- he just made up his mind and now I'm gonna survive a gunshot because I decided to? He's what? The you know? That's, that's <laughs> well, why and, and it's the thing about Giuliano is okay, we should note that Salvatore Giuliano, who uh Lambert plays in this movie, was a real person and a very famous uh, uh he was a very famous bandit <clears throat> and he got started uh because the United States invaded Italy 
and uh, a lot of the grain in Sicily was controlled by the black market. So he was smuggling grain uh, mm. and he gets caught at a checkpoint and uh, he and the Totoro character, I forget the guy's name, but uh, they get stopped by these cops. Uh, Giuliano gets shot, but kills a cop. He goes and hides in the mountains and through like all the weird machinations of Sicilian politics, he ends up becoming this Robin Hood like folk hero bandit. Uh, but in the movie, they have you get this um, kind of flashback structure where we start and we see like it's after his death and he's become this legend. And then we flash back and we have the scene where he gets stopped smuggling grain, he gets shot. And then we have Totoro going, he must live, you know, he will exactly. live because he's yeah. not And I'm like, this guy's just a small time bandit. Why, why is he already like the Messiah? Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like he's yeah. already that, treated like that, That's one of the biggest issues, I think. There's no setup. So yeah. so you you uh, right at the beginning when you're introduced to them too, you're already supposed to already know that he's someone that's feared. He's someone that everyone, because everyone's talking about Giuliano, like, oh my God, this either uh, he's a piece of shit that he should, we should kill because he's dangerous or he's our, our savior. And we've only seen him kill a cop and get on a horse and that's it. So it, whenever they, they, they talk about him with this, you know, magnat magnanimous bullshit, it never feels real because you never really see him do anything. Uh, it's more about them telling you that he's done all of those things. And then whenever something happens, nothing ever really goes smoothly either. You know, there's people that die or things that go awry because he's trusting people that he maybe shouldn't trust. So at no point he feels the way that they talk to him about, you know, I don't know if that yeah. sentence even made sense, but they always talk to him about this huge presence and he, he never feels like that. And he, they never show him doing anything like that. Yeah. You, you know, what's a film that, I think kind of did this better. Have any of you heard of the film Salvatore Giuliano? Uh, uh, no. Like, mm. Yeah, it's on Criterion uh, back when they were still good. Uh, it's directed by Francesco Rossi. Nice. And <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that uh, more people, more people are like, you know, uh, not fooled. Criterion sucks. Yeah. Criterion sold out. Yeah, yeah, not not fooled by their fake intellectual bullshit that they try to present themselves at. Well, it's and not I like was that anymore. I was very heartened too because today I saw some people I know on Facebook who are just kind of film fans that I casually know, and they were talking about how much uh, the Criterion Channel and HBO Max sucks and how they miss Filmstruck. <laughs> and I was going, yes, the Criterion Channel is not very good. It's it's. It's not. And uh... the only thing that Criterion Channel, in my opinion, has over Filmstruck, which was like the, the beta version of that, uh, mm -hmm. is that the uh, the user face is a little bit friendlier and the app mm. is much less buggy. Other than that, like the selections. That's what I'm talking there. about. Yeah. It's... Would you mind? Would you mind explaining what Filmstruck is for people that are not familiar like me? Filmstruck uh, was just uh, or was, was like the, the original rendition of the Criterion Channel app that Criterion partnered, I think, with maybe another company. It was TCM. Okay, yeah. Oh, so okay. that also, I mean, that's the only good part of HBO Max, by the way, is the Turner Classic Movies section. And they have everything that the Criterion Channel has or used to have anyway, and they can probably sustain it for longer. So uh, there, it, it almost renders the Criterion Channel app 
completely pointless unless you're in the mood for something like very specific that's on there because you probably won't be able to find it on Amazon Prime or something else. By the way, Sicilian, very difficult to track down. I had <laughs> so I I waited to watch uh, the Sicilian the day that we were going to record. So uh, what was it? Two days ago? Yesterday? Yesterday. 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 So I, I had like five different <clears throat> torrents like in queue and they were just <laughs> hanging out at zero percent. I was like, fuck, we're, we're going we're, we're to miss the record day. Nobody cares about this movie. No one wants to see it. No one's downloading it. Han somehow got a copy. He we transfers it to me. I was able to to watch it that way. But that that would have been a nightmare if you're trying to pirate this movie. Good luck. And it's not on Amazon Prime either, from what I I looked anyway. And it, it, they have tons of other uh, movies oh, from the director. I got I've got nothing. the Blu-ray. So there you ah, go. <laughs> now, is that the? I've seen that there's a director's cut that is available. I had that torrent going too because there was all kinds of mayhem in a court case regarding uh, this movie's production. Yeah. And uh, whether or not he had final cut or safe for final cut, which they ruled he did not, even yeah. though it was in the contract. that Yeah. He did. So there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of interest in that debacle. And maybe maybe this got butchered. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because a lot of what you were saying, Hans, was that, oh, we don't really see uh, why this man has this legacy that he has. They talk about him like he's such a, a big figure. And yet you never really feel that on screen. I do think obviously part of that is because of the performance and the, the sloppiness, but it could also be because mm. of the, the edit. Now, have you watched the director's cut, Hunter? Yeah, that's the version that's on the Blu-ray. Um, it's about, I, I can't remember how long the theatrical cut is, but the, the uh, director's cut is almost two and a half hours long. Right. There's about um, 30 minutes, I want to say, that's cut from yeah. uh, the movie. Yeah, and I know the film, the late film critic F.X. Feeney, who I think was probably one of Chimino's biggest champions. Uh, I know he was a big uh, proponent of the director's cut of this film. <clears throat> uh, I think he said it was the best movie of 1987, which I think, like, let's calm down. But <laughs> yes, that, is, that is a stark contrast to anything that you read about this movie critically, because I was I was floored that this had a 10% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, obviously, we're citing all kinds of problems with the movie, but it's not 10%. 10%. No. Oh. no, this is not a 10% film. This is maybe like a 42%, a 10%. Come on. Yeah. No, there, there's stuff I like in this film. I like the, the um, locations. I like a lot of the vibe. I think it's deeply flawed, but 10%, I think... I think one of the reasons it has such a low rating is that Michael Cimino was such a punching bag at this point. Yeah. You read, go look up any press he got in the eighties and it's universally like mocking negative. It's, is it's it, all. Is it because of heaven gates? Like the yeah, failure of heaven gates? Heaven's uh, gate. Yeah. They, but they had it out for him prior to that too. I think they were just waiting for his career to flop, which is, I mean that you see that pretty frequently with yeah. directors who, I have a good streak of films like the way that look, I, I, I have, uh, you know, I have I'm cautiously optimistic about this Dune movie that's coming out. Right. A lot of people say, oh, Denny Villeneuve, he's on a hot streak. He can do no wrong. Dune, too big to fail. And uh, people think that th this could be a big flop. Right now, it might not be. It might be great. But if there's that expectation that's already in place. When it arrives, if it just misses the mark slightly, 
the consequence of that critically or just like word of mouth wise could be enormous. And I think that was the case with uh, Michael Cimino after the deer hunter and given the controversy around heaven's gate before it even came out. Yeah. A, a, a modern example that I think mirrors heaven's gate is John Carter, the Disney film. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was a film that if you look at the press leading up to it, it's all knife sharpening, like mm-hmm. just all going Andrew uh, Stanton. Is that his name? Uh, Andrew Stanton, the Pixar guy. He was, he's out of control. He's, spending money like a drunken sailor this movie they, they always they always uh, film critics and the film, hollywood press they always become like fiscal conservative libertarians when they when, <laughs> when when there's something they don't like they're like oh look at all this money that's being spent oh my goodness oh my goodness we got to rein in this madness you know? <laughs> uh, but you you look at the press for heaven's gate leading up to it and the press for john carter which is more recent in memory they're very similar uh, in that they they're being set up to fail. They're being you know the pre- the the public is being massaged to think this is a, this movie's going to be a bomb. It's a waste of time. They tried to do it to Costner several times, and eventually they succeeded. They called Dances with Wolves Kevin's Gate when he was oh, making. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and now, that, that's generally considered like his best. Yeah, right? yeah. It, he 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 ended up winning that one, but then he made yeah. like Waterworld and The Postman. Oh, you know. Waterworld. Yeah. Well, I mean, Waterworld still wound up getting good reviews. I think. Yeah. I mean, I I always thought that that was like the big flop that put him in movie jail, but it wasn't, right? I mean that that actually made its money back, and then it some. It was The Postman that fucked him up, and I've been considering yeah. buying some uh 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 wardrobe from the postman off eBay because like someone just popped up and started selling wardrobe from them like shirts, cool shirts, like straight jackets. I was like, damn, this looks hip as hell. I might yeah, get one of these. So you can do that right now. They're like a hundred bucks if you if you you're really in the market to buy a postman memorabilia. Huh. <laughs> what a what a deal. Yeah. Fucking a hundred bucks for an old looking <laughs> shitty ass shirt that's been sweated on by Sweated on by other men. Sounds great. Go yeah. spend a hundred bucks. Yeah, I think I think Will Patton sweated in these boxers. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, but uh, well, but Waterworld is one of those movies that well, I I never really thought it was bad, but I think it was because I was introduced to it as a kid because it was just on HBO here all the time. Uh, so as a twelve year old, that shit was awesome. Like that movie was amazing to me so then later you know when i when i got old and and realized that not everyone saw that movie through those eyes uh, i I still haven't seen it but i i guess the budget right because i I don't really remember it being that terrible uh i don't know if it just came out at a wrong time or i was look i i mean when i when i was first exposed to Waterworld, i was a young young boy and just the fact that they were on a boat was very off-putting to me i was like i can't stand this. <laughs> the one thing I, I i knew and liked about it was that they drank their own pee in that right? that's what that was known for yes yes so i yeah. think i think it was a troubled production i think uh kevin reynolds directed it and i think he kind of quit in frustration and costner finished it i could be wrong but I remember Kevin Reynolds uh, said like Kevin Costner should direct the picture so he can work with his favorite, a- his favorite director or his favorite actor, his favorite. I don't know. He's, he's calling him a megalomaniac, but mm. it, it was, it was a troubled production. And a lot of times when you have a troubled production, the press kind of smells blood in the water and starts to um, circle. It's, they did. John, Car- 
Uh, is John Carter bad? I've never seen John Carter because of that. Mostly, I, I think because of like that. I, I fell for that negative press, I guess, because I was like, I don't know why would I watch this? You know, I, I personally, I personally loved it, and part of the reason I loved it was um, it is a Edgar Rice Burroughs adaptation that is quite faithful to the source material. Like there's been a million Tarzan movies and their faithfulness to the material varies greatly. This right. there's, we've gotten two John, I think there's an asylum John Carter of Mars movie. So that's, of course count. there is. <laughs> they did it right, right after this one came out. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's John very, within an H. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> it's, it's Jonathan Carter, but no, I, I like it. I like it quite a bit. It, it has some problems, but, not nearly the level of which the press would have you believe. I thought it was a very good adventure film. Yeah, but it's like a fantasy adventure movie, right? Yeah. So it's not something that, you know, you're, you should be putting this much, you know. No, it's like, into, you know, I guess. it's like I Star know. Wars or Indiana Jones on Mars, you know. It's kind of like Superman, honestly, because he gets transported to Mars and he can jump like a flea man because uh, gravity, you know. So it's like Superman on Earth. He, he has special powers because he's here. Um, but you know, John, Car- John Carter of Mars, those books that Burroughs wrote really kind of set a gold standard for that space fantasy opera stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so one reason I think a lot of people didn't connect with it was they were like, you know, I've seen this a million times before in other right. fantasy right. movies that have been cribbing from it, but, uh, it but no, it's, it's worth They watching. got Taylor Kitsch, the star who for the <laughs> life of him, just, he's not even a bad actor, but he's no. got such a negative track record with the box. Anytime they try to like make him the star. That movie fails every single time. I mean, you, you could look at True Detective season two, where he's one of the lead characters, and people were just out on that. People were like, ah, <laughs> it's poison. Yeah. You, know, you know, he was great as David Koresh in the Waco. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I did watch that. That was uh, that was probably his best performance. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, when he sings uh, the song from the Lost Boys on the roof to the FBI, and they, that was awesome. <laughs> Sings the the sax guys song. I still believe it's great. <laughs> uh, I just to go back to uh, you know critics uh, poisoning the well. Uh, obviously, I think a big uh, uh, reference point for that would be something like Eyes Wide Shut, where that took many years to get. Oh yeah, out. and they were making up rumors about what it was about. Is about this and that, and nobody would confirm or deny. And you would hear all sorts of troubled stories coming out from that. So when it did drop. Uh, the reviews were pretty mixed. It was pretty 50 50. Uh, I think yeah. because of that lead up and the fact that Kubrick wasn't able to properly uh, finish it. Yeah, I remember a lot of the more uh, openly perverse adults I knew because I was pretty young when that came out, way too young to see it. But it was, it kind of had a reputation like Showgirls or something where, you know, it's like, ooh, oh. it's this steamy, steamy movie, you know? Right. But, yeah. but, there's, but there's these adults would tell me, oh, it's not at all. It's, oh, it's weird. Yeah. Oh, I saw, I went to see it and I was thinking I'd get something like hot. And instead I get this movie about <laughs> well, like, hey, speak for yourself. I, well, that was the first time I saw some Bush is eyes wide shut on HBO. <laughs> well, this is, hearing, this, this is what I was hearing. This is what I was hearing from uh, adults. When right. I was a child, yes. you know, they were saying I was expecting something hot. Instead, I get like cults and, you know, the Illuminati and, you know, all conspiracies. And, and Bush. <laughs> not, not, not George Bush. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, there's clips of uh, like Entertainment Tonight where they're interviewing Tom Cruise on the set, and they're like, "Oh, so is it about you know, uh, is it this whatever they say? It sounds like something extremely explicit. They run by him like a husband killing a wife, and he's fucking this, and and Tom Cruise is like, "You're just gonna have to see to find out." Uh, but yeah, I mean, I when I first watched Eyes Wide Shut, I was I think it was like New Year's Eve, 1999, Y2K, and uh, it's on HBO or something. And I was I was very lucky because my parents had stepped out of the room right during the the cult sequence. <laughs> so I'm just seeing dozens of vaginas. I'm like, what the fuck? I had no clue the vaginas could grow hair. I, I was baffled. So I was like, what? What is this? Why is it? A, what? I was so perplexed, but uh, it was very formative. It was a formative experience for young Lores. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that there was a similar thing with that, but you know, I was too young to watch it in real time, but I do, I do remember the adult disappointment, uh, you know, among the, but these were not cinephiles. These were not people who were like Stanley Kubrick. Do you know who he is? He directed <laughs> 2001 and Clockwork Orange and all these wonderful films, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, and also I think with Chimino, he was coming off such a success with the deer hunter and he had only had one other directorial effort under his belt which was thunderbolt and lightfoot have any of you seen that movie uh no but i'm vaguely familiar with it it's it, you guys did a show on the buddy movie i think it's like a prototype early example of that it's okay. a it but what happened was uh chimino he directed like commercials and stuff he was like ridley scott he did a lot of commercials in the 70s for like united airlines and pepsi and stuff like that but <clears throat> he started writing spec scripts and he got uh i think one of he wrote like silent running uh he wrote uh magnum force for clint eastwood which was you know also has john milliot credited but uh he wrote this movie thunderbolt and lightfoot and clint liked it so much clint wanted to direct it but for some reason he decided to let chimino do it and it's a very strange movie for Clint Eastwood because it's him and Jeff Bridges and they're like buddies on the road. It's very post easy rider. Like it was ba this road movies were big, you know, we need, we, Oh, we want a road movie, you know, <laughs> like yeah. make, make us a road movie. And, uh, <clears throat> and it's very quirky and strange. Like there's a lot of long character development stuff that you normally do not see in a Clint Eastwood production and lots of, really bizarre humor like stuff that you just don't see in movies today like uh, clint and uh jeff bridges get picked up by this tweaker in a uh muscle car who has like a rabid uh raccoon in a, in a cage in the car and, and he goes nuts and clint and jeff bridges force him to pull over and he opens his trunk and just dozens of bunnies pop out white bunny rabbits and the guy starts like shooting them with a shotgun <laughs> And Clint and Jeff Bridges have to seduce him. I mean, not seduce him. Seduce him. Whoa. Seduce him. Whoa. No, no, no. Oh, it's a very different movie. I told you. It's a buddy movie. I told you it was quirky. Well, that's one of those. Uh, oh, just what? picturing fucking Clint Eastwood <laughs> trying to seduce <laughs> another man. It's yeah. so disturbing. <laughs> him, 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 him and Jeff Bridges. Hey, come on, man. He's very tight lipped. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's licking his tight lips. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, but it's, it's a scene that 
you know, has nothing to do with the rest of the film. It's just there. <laughs> but, uh, but it was kind of a weird little movie. And Shimino, any interview you read with him or, or listen to with him, the very few he gave, uh, he would always talk about how much he loves Clint Eastwood, how Clint Eastwood is responsible for his career. And uh, one of my friends told me that Chimino uh, and Clint would have lunch like once a week up until his death. Like they, they still saw each other quite frequently. Or Man, I wonder, I wonder what he thought of his face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He used to look like John Lovitz. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, he, he actually, started... he did. Yeah. He, he, uh, he... he looked like a, like a, like a man who would be named Chimino. And then at the end of his life, you know, we talked about this on the Year of the Dragon show. He looks like a K-pop star. He yeah. looks like a beautiful young woman. It looks like he and Mickey Rourke were like hanging out with the same plastic surgeon. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 so peculiar. Why? When did he when did he faces. become Chinese? <laughs> so weird that he, he's just this, what turned seventy and now I'm from Thailand. All of a sudden. Yeah, he's very he's very small in those later interviews. He's got these big sunglasses on he's really his face is so tight his yeah. hair it's always weird like you reach a certain age where the young person hair ages you more than if you just had it natural you know like because yeah, he, has the, it, he yeah. has the hair of like a you know a woman in her 60s you know mm. he has a, a a comfortable haircut you know yes. that all an older woman will get so that she doesn't have to well, do much with it you know just at, and I saw this interview from like, oh, probably like 10 years before he died, where he has like long blonde hair and the big sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I actually, and you know, a lot of, there were a lot of rumors that he was like transitioning or something. But I saw, there was an interview where a Hollywood reporter uh, guy asked him and he got like really offended. He was very upset. <laughs> About that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the and then the the reporter was like, "Well, hey, you know, it's it's, it's the current year. You know, everybody's cool with that." He's like, "No, no, no." <laughs> he, he wasn't wouldn't listen. <laughs> you know, his appearance That's was a... really like Bruce Jenner right before coming out as Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah, the face started to take a new shape, and yeah, and it, it's interesting. The the former guitarist of Kiss, Vinnie Vincent, has had a similar sort of phenomena going on with him. <laughs> just a smooth asian face yeah just his life yeah. Chain, it's chain it's transforming um very shiny for whatever reason right it's just yeah. too hey, tight look, so maybe, maybe, maybe it, it wasn't a gender thing maybe he did want to be maybe he got really into year of the dragon and he did want to be asian <laughs> that's entirely look that's i don't want to tell possible. i don't I mean, post rate. I mean, uh, transracial is a thing too, right? If you look at now, the girl so. from Broad City, who no one talks about the fact she looks exactly like a light skinned black girl, but she's Jewish. No one wants to. I thought she was black up until maybe about a year ago. No, she's got. She was like talking about white privilege and how she feels guilty. I was like, white privilege? You? <laughs> Come to find out, you know, she's a full Hasid. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, interesting. A thick Jew from Brooklyn. That's what she is. Not well, black. you know, yeah. you know, Michael did get those uh, accusations of racism for Enter, uh, Enter the Dragon. Year of the, the Dragon. dragon. <laughs> yeah, Year of the Dragon. Yes, there's a great Larry King clip, I think it is, with Mickey Rourke, where Larry's like, uh, I'm th I think it's Larry King. 
he's like, oh, what do you have to say about the, the racism, the accusations of racism that surround the movie? Mickey Rourke just masterfully shuts it down, like how everybody should today. Everybody should go watch that and have balls who works in show business, but nobody will. And Mickey Rourke would actually probably say something totally different today because he's posting like Kamala Harris clips on his Instagram now. Uh, Mickey Rourke oh, is such a no. either cute little dogs oh. or it's Kamala Harris and you go girl, all capitals, uh, signed Mickey. Uh, it's just it's who he is now. I, I accept it. I'm comfortable with it. His face is what it is. The Mickey Rourke of yesteryear is not not that man anymore. But, but how dare he? How dare he play a Nazi in a movie, though? That's not. That's oh, not right. good. Didn't, yeah, he. Well, look. Yeah, look. I think any sixty-year-old liberal still thinks it's like nineteen ninety-eight, and Bill Clinton is cool, and like being a Democrat <laughs> is one thing, and not the current like, right. like bad Nancy Pelosi, AOC kind of thing. You know, it's it's a uh, Michael Imperioli. If you ever watch that Talking Soprano show. They're talking about no. like, oh, you think he slept with Monica Lewinsky? And Michael Imperio is like, no, absolutely not. He would never do that. I met him. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's okay. such a that's such an odd like that show, that podcast. I'm I'm sure is successful more it's than wildly successful. We could more than we could ever be. I'm sure. I why. Why do you want to hear two retarded Italian men talking about show business? For whatever reason, <laughs> everybody decided to rewatch Sopranos last year because of the lockdowns. I don't know right. why Sopranos specifically, but it was absolutely a thing because I did it without even being aware that there was like a trend going on. They had a podcast and you saw everybody else starting to do it. And then you go online and it's like they got a podcast. The kid and the sister have a podcast and also... You know, he moved across the country to do that podcast with her, and she's married and stuff. He's not married. I think I think he's madly in love with her from scandalous. The, yes, from the that's from weird. the days of yore. Um, just a just a hunch, though. You know, uh, there's like four different Sopranos cast member podcasts. People just just flock to it, and it holds up. It's a, I think it's a great show. You know, the Sopranos right. was what what city does it take place in? It's uh, New Jersey, but they, New- they filmed uh, a lot. Actually, around here at Silver Cup, I remember hearing that. Um, I don't know if it was New Jersey or who, but when LeBron James was a free agent, they got Gandolfini to come out of. You know, they, they got him to reprise his role as Tony Soprano to do a clip <laughs> just just for LeBron James to convince LeBron to come out to, and be in us. Hey, and and it, and it it. it Tony was, a, Tony, Tony was alive. <laughs> he survived the ending and he was in witness. Oh, oh. So this okay. is canon. This, yes. is, this is. And it's never been seen by anybody except LeBron James. That's, that's what's missing from that. Yeah. That is the ending that everyone it deserves, was, that everyone they, wants. They made this just for him. <laughs> Get him to come uh, play in whatever city, and I don't. In New York, yeah. in New York, no, he didn't, and he still didn't. No, oh, that's <laughs> fucking funny. I just, <laughs> it's so funny because I, I don't think uh, Tony Soprano is the most racially inclusive character that you could think of. That's relate. I'm sure there's a lot of cool black characters based in New York that you could. Not a racist Italian mob boss, you know. LeBron was That's probably such a... offended. <laughs> you know? 
That's why or if he was a fan. Yeah, I don't know. But that's such a weird, like such an odd uh, bit of trivia that seems so completely like made up. But I completely believe that. It's, yeah, it, made. it does set seem made up. <laughs> but when I heard about that, I went, "What?" <laughs> that's fantastic i uh i just shared something over here in the chat that unfortunately our audience is not going to be able to see but just to see what mickey rourke's up to these days um yeah uh, he's in a he's in a movie a prison movie that just got a distribution where he plays a, a neo-nazi skinhead and eric roberts is also in it and when they started promoting the movie eric roberts yes. name was not listed anywhere so that that to me feels like a last minute inclusion like they just shot like a bunch of scenes real quick in the same location with eric roberts i love eric roberts me personally. too hunter yeah you 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 like eric roberts too? oh yeah yeah the akon smack that video classic <laughs> <laughs> which one of his 100 movies are coming out this year are you mo look, most looking forward to <laughs> i have no idea i just know i, I love like runaway train and you know <laughs> but you know best of the best you know but uh but no, I like Eric Roberts quite a bit. Anytime he's in, so I don't like seek him out, but anytime he's in something, I'm like, oh yeah, let's go, Eric Roberts. And Eric Roberts' performance will almost always elevate whatever you're watching. Yeah. And I think a good example of that is the, um, the movie Final Analysis with Richard Gere and Kim Basinger and Uma Thurman, uh, which weirdly reuses a lot of the, the props and sets from Batman 89, and it ends the same way as Batman 89. Um, it's uh it's not a good movie. It's a ridiculous over the top movie. And Richard Gere's not even good in it. And that that's an actor we've been praising recently because of his like 1970s, 80s performances. But Eric Roberts is in the movie for about half of it. And they hype him up as like a bad guy or whatever, and it's a fake out. And he's great, and he makes it completely watchable uh throughout his duration, at least, in that film. Yeah, yeah. He's I would also say he's he's one of the most underrated parts of the the Dark Knight, which is full of hammy performances. That's right. That it's so amusing to me that he was able to pull off the Dark Knight and Celebrity Rehab on VH1 in the same year, yes, months apart. Yes, and uh, I thought he was perfectly solid as a villain in The Expendables. <laughs> you know, um, speaking of Eric Roberts, uh, he famously plays a, a villain in. Uh, uh, in the TV procedural for <laughs> notice uh, on season five, uh, I think it's episode as as eighteen. Said, hey, you know, <laughs> I already knew where this was going. I never knew he was on there. I just I didn't he, I knew. Yeah, he plays a villain. He's he's great in it. So um, go check that episode of Burn Notice, season five, episode eighteen. <laughs> just watch. I'm I'm doing a rewatch right now, uh, and I'm rewatching the first season, and it's just as good as when it came out. So. Go, Listen, go, go when look we for that, that Eric Roberts episode to YouTube to make fun of you for liking Burn Notice so much. Everybody <laughs> yeah. was like, "Yeah, Burn Notice." Like I had the egg on my face for saying, "Yeah, that was shit." Everybody said Burn Notice rules. Burn Notice is great. I I commented saying that I was rewatching it and it's great, and you commented saying delete this and then <laughs> you deleted it and then you deleted it. it. Yes, you did. No, it's not the, I don't. <laughs> I swear, I will write something in response to somebody on YouTube, and then I'll go back because I'll see a response, and then my comment's gone. I would never delete my my own comments. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
Burnotis, great show. Go revisit it. Now that we're still in a pandemic, instead I'll of watching The what. Sopranos, go watch Burnotis. For, for it's more fun. Fifty, we'll do the the fall of Sam Axe. All right, that'll be your second pick after Dick Tracy, because the Han Select series has died like right away. <laughs> All right. Oh, Dick Tracy, we just talked about that on my show. That's mm. that's actually I thought that was great, and I I hadn't watched it really as a kid. That was something yeah. I was always aware of. It was always at like at the video store, and it had a sideways case which Hans tried to debunk, but we found out that it was was real. Um, yeah. And it feels very, like, just Warren Beatty getting hung up on Batman 89 and wanting to do yeah. his version of that. Yeah, wanted to do, like, I want to do it, but with this character I grew up with, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I, yeah. that I like. And it's one of the very few uh, oldie-time cartoon, uh, what, what would you call it, turn-into-movies uh, that actually works and feels like a cartoon movie. Uh, because they didn't try to make it realistic or try to m- bring it into real life like they often do with those things. Uh, uh, in this case, they just kept it like even with the, uh, which is one of my favorite things, the, the paintings that they have to show uh, locations and things. Where they just move the camera on a painting. That was amazing. And I, I love that. So, yeah, that, that's that's one of my favorite movies that we covered here. It's really weird to say that Big Tracy is yeah. you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> great. But, well, but it's, yeah. it's a fun movie to go to because comic book movies... <clears throat> They've like lost all auteur voice, you know, except for like Zack Snyder, which is why yeah. we get so excited. I at least I do. I, I know Lorez does. I get so excited mm. when uh, he has a new movie coming out because you know it's going to have his voice. But you know, I'll see. I remember seeing people get hung up on, oh, this director got uh, Ed, Edgar Wright got fired from Ant Man, or this director got fired from this movie, and I would always go, it's going to be whatever Marvel and Disney want it to be. It's not. Yeah, yeah, it's a that's- TV show. That was infuriating in the moment when I still had bright eyes for, for yeah. Marvel properties. And in retrospect, mm-hmm. it's like that saved Edgar Wright's career. I mean, yeah. Look, yeah. Baby Driver, I still thought was fun, even though it didn't have the same feel as, uh, you know, the Cornetto trilogy or uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And uh, I, I am looking forward to that documentary he has out and the, uh, the what is it, Last Night in Soho? Is that yeah, the title? I think so. Uh, that trailer's, I'm fair weather on that. It's, We'll we'll see. I'll go see it. Uh, but I, I feel like he would have fallen into the same trap as a Taika Waititi or James Gunn if he had mm-hmm. uh, rode that out at Marvel and they didn't shit can him. Yeah, and I think you know everybody's excited because Sam Raimi's coming back. But I mean, he's a guy who's been kind of you know it's been a while. It's been a, it's I think been a since, minute since what uh, Drag Me to Hell. I think no, no, was probably uh, he did Oz, Oz, Oz the Great Oz, and Powerful, yeah. and that was a Disney film. No, so no, 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 but. What I mean by Dragon of Hell is that like the last his movie, yeah. you know, that you can think of. Not because Oz was just a, a, a Disney. I don't know if it was. Did you just say Disney? Yeah, it was, it was a Disney, Disney movie. Well, he yeah. Didn't so do it was after that. Did he? No, he's just been producing stuff. I think he did. He direct the pilot for Ash versus the Evil Dead after that, I guess. But he hasn't really. Maybe, he's, he's just yeah. produced. He's just produced some horror schlock, you know. I doubt. Like it. I'm, ex- I, I, he, I'm excited. He's been so hung up on not giving Evil Dead fans what they want. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? What do you mean that Evil Dead fans don't want a TV series about his daughter, and now it's all about his fucking Wait, daughter? Is it? Hold on. That's what they're TV doing. Show or is it a movie? I thought it was a movie. I, 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 I don't even know because I'm so not. <laughs> I I'm going, so not interested. That yeah. <laughs> that's the skill. That's just Max. That's what I know. Ugh. Uh, mm. uh, 
But, yeah. you know, I just, I, I see him coming on and I'm like, you know, I, I loved it back when he was doing Spider-Man, but, you know, I don't think well, you're going to get unfiltered Sam Raimi. Yeah, we're going to cover those movies soon, by the way. I just rewatched uh, the first one and the second one. And I thought they were like, they still hold up. And I think they're yeah. Yeah. terrific movies. They, they uh, look the, like the, the comics I read when I was a kid, like the Steve Ditko yeah. stuff brought to life. It's just right. screams the, off the, the page. I can't, I, I mean, that the, the amazing Spider-Man films obviously had their, their problems, but those, I, and they didn't even really feel like Spider-Man to me. It felt like they were just trying to do a Dark Knight version of Spider-Man, which didn't right. work with the character. And I didn't like that suit. The suit was just a little too sinister looking for that type of character. Mm-hmm. Like I understand they're going for a different vibe and different world, but I don't know. It just wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, and then with these Marvel ones, like Marvel Studios, Disney, it's, it, you gave them a fake suit, like it's a fake mask. Like this is watching a, a like a like a computer animation in a video game. It, it, I mean, it feels so detached. There's nothing personal about these movies at all. And they didn't have the faith that Spider-Man would be able to carry his own film because they had to throw in Iron Man as the Uncle Ben type character. So it just sucks. I, I mean, I haven't watched the second one, but that that first... And I love Michael Keaton. He's one of my favorite actors. I was happy to see him get that role as the antagonist, as the vulture. But I just couldn't connect with that movie. Yeah, I didn't even... It, I, I was kind of checked out with Marvel by the, I, the time it came I out. I think... That- the biggest problem with those Spider-Man movies is that they, they haven't figured out if they want it to be a kid's movie or a movie for adults. So a lot of the time you they, they have silly jokes or silly pranks for kids, but then it turns serious. So you're just like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be engaging with here. Well, it, you know, is this silly kid Spider-Man or are we supposed to be scared that he might die or something? I, I, well, and, and this is another problem is the, the, you know, they, they want these movies to be all things to all people. Like we don't mm. get, we don't get like comedies anymore or action yeah. movies or right. any of this. Cause it all just has been rolled up into the burrito sushi role. That is the, 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 the superhero film. And uh, it's just to, to, to your point about the, the, uh, those two movies feeling like the old comic books. Uh, I don't know if it's the way that they're directed or maybe the way that they present the superhero because they do feel different than watching any of the MCU movies. Uh, and, well, uh, it was before, I guess, they learned how to, how to make those uh, profitable. But at the same time, uh, there's something about these uh, MCU movies that just feel like a soap opera with custom people in it, you know, where there's the, the excitement is very much... I don't know, it feels very... Uh, manufactured like very uh, the same thing over and over again in any movie that comes out you already know what the three acts are going to be you know what the structure is you know the jokes are going to make and the 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 everything is very predictable with this spider-man movies that were so early and so different from what was out at the time you you still have uh the eye of sam raimi with some shots uh, you see a lot of of uh, Evil Dead and Darkman influences on his camera movements in these Spider-Man movies. That uh, seeing them after watching this MCU uh, movies, that they're all feel directionless. They all feel like it's the same person directing them. Uh, they feel very refreshing because it's like, oh, they're doing this in a different way. That it's not the thing that they've been feeding us for the past what 15 10 years sure yeah. i think it's how, also how long has it the, been? the world building that that sam raimi winds up doing in there and how characters all feel like they belong in this this place mm-hmm. which you couldn't really say for the 
Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. That was a big flaw with that, where you have like Paul Giamatti's Rhino and uh, Jamie Foxx's Electro. And it's like, you just set up a dark tone with that first movie and the Dennis Leary characters killed and all that. And then you have, you go in like a Batman forever type direction. It doesn't, it doesn't work with that. And um, yeah, I also think that, uh, you know, it does embrace enough of the culture of that time very well, where it feels like you just opened a, a can of, 2002 when you put that movie on and it like it i don't know it just feels very of the time in a good way and not a dated mm-hmm. way necessarily yeah and that's that's tough to do and i don't even think you can know if it's going to work then yeah know? no you absolutely you absolutely can't know if putting macy gray to perform in your movie for three <laughs> three minutes is going to work out in the long run and i don't even know if it does work out in the long run but it's just kind of a thing that's there and why not yeah. it gives it a little a little more character you know which we got we got dashboard confessional on the end <laughs> oh, yeah there's a lot of a lot of pop punk and also that's something i noticed with Zack snyder's films too because i was i was doing a, a quick retrospective for somebody else's podcast uh, he loves a certain type of music that is of a certain era that like my chemical romance type type of sound <laughs> that can be found in many of his films. Yeah. Yeah. With lyrics. With yeah. lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Maybe that's what the Sicilian was missing was a little, little, my chemical, a little Nicky. Little- <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. No, it could have, it could have used a, uh, I don't know. What do what, Italians? They like Genesis. We could have used some Genesis. Genesis would have fucking the ruled 80s. on this sound. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> they were big in uh, the eighties. You know, sure, sure. Some Phil Collins in there. Yeah, I would um, take even Peter Gabriel Genesis for this movie. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you ever answered the question about. And I don't even actually know if I asked this question. I think I just asked you if you saw the director's cut. Is the director's cut an improvement on the theatrical cut? Yes, it it certainly fills in a lot of the character bits. In fact, I think FX Feeney did like a whole rundown of they cut a hundred, you know, this much uh, footage, this many lines of dialogue, and in fact, I think Chimino. Like when he was asked to cut it down, I think he just cut out the action scenes. Yeah, he did that as a fuck you to the studio. Yeah, yeah. He cut out all the. That's action why he sued scenes. him. Yeah, yes, and that's like, that's what yeah. wound up leading to the the lawsuit. Yeah, they were just like, okay, this guy's being a jerk, and uh, <laughs> and so like Vince, I think you know who Chimino reminds me of. He reminds me of Vincent Gallo a little bit because mm. he has this like you know Vincent Gallo will make a movie, and then he'll go, I'm not going to release it. Because I don't want the public harming my my child. Yes, yes. <laughs> my creation. I don't want. I want to protect it from the mean words. Um, like Chimino spent his last years writing novels, but he'd write them and have them translated into French, so the U.S. press wouldn't write about them. <laughs> wow, oh, I, wow, I did not yes. know that. Yeah, yeah. He was like, "Oh, I don't want." You know, I don't talk to the U.S. media. He did an interview with the Hollywood Reporter, and he was like, "You just caught me on a weird day," but. I normally would never talk to you people because, <laughs> because uh, you know, I'll only do interviews with foreign uh, press, but. <laughs> so he was but, really yeah, scarred from that, that backlash from, from the heaven's gate era, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I don't think it led up, you know, because, you know, he, heaven's gate got such a backlash and, you know, it did sink a studio. It did kill fine United artists. Um, and, you know, with, year of the dragon 
he was called uh, a racist. You know, he was he was accused of racism uh, against Asians when he made it. And um, with the Sicilian, you know, I, I was reading some articles from when it came out and they all talk about it like, oh, it's just this piece of garbage movie. You have to see, it's going to leave theaters soon. So if you want to see how bad it is, go watch it. <laughs> if you just want to behold how terrible this movie is. Uh, and, you know, I, I just think he was he was an, an easy target, an easy punching bag and nothing he made after Heaven's Gate was taken seriously. Damn, and so when you the, read the it, Italian Defamation League had no interest in the Sicilian. Yeah, <laughs> they probably were. They were probably like Hans. They watched it and went, none of these people feel Italian. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Christopher Lambert there. He, he, you know. But a lot of actors play ethnicities other than their own. It's called acting, but he's always the Highlander, the Sicilian, yeah. the whatever, whatever. It's anything other than the Frenchman. But uh, but uh, he, uh, <laughs> but you know, with the director's cut, it does restore a lot of those character moments, and uh, it's generally and it's an improvement. It does. Is it going to make it some classic? No. Uh. Um. For me, this is like a two and a half, three star movie. Um, is it like I, what, like half an hour more? Like how much yeah. does it add? To yeah, it's about it's about half an hour because mm. uh, they wanted it to be around just under two, like 115 minutes, and I, his cut was nearly two and a half hours. I was going to say, what what happened to Christopher Lambert? It seems like he totally disappeared as soon as the 90s ended. And I just looked up his Wikipedia real quick to see what he's been doing. And the answer is uh, NCIS Los Angeles and The Blacklist. You know, <laughs> it's funny because I, I've talked about this on my podcast where uh, I'll, I'll ask, you know, I'll go, John, whatever happened to this actor? And he'll go, well, they've been doing this TV show. And I go, anytime an actor disappears... Like, yeah. like William H. Macy. Okay. <laughs> Loved him. Then he's gone. Oh, he's on some show. You don't watch shameless. Oh, okay. You know, that's where he's been for a decade. It's doing a TV show. Right. <laughs> so like, it's like these actors that get on TV shows. If you don't watch it, you may, they may as well not exist. You know, they disappear. Right. Like he also Drew did, uh, he did and, kickboxer retaliation, which is apparently a kickboxer sequel. Hans, you, yeah. you let me know that there were apparently <laughs> eight sequels. To sniper that were made. Um, yeah. Tom Berenger's sniper. Is Tom Berenger's. Uh, uh, because, I mean, that's his day job now. It's because Loras, Loras was like, we should do like a Tom Berenger retrospective. And I was like, yeah, which one of the sniper movies do you want no, to do? And he's like, that's <laughs> not what I meant. I meant we should, we should reach out to Tom Berenger for the next project. And you thought I meant movies, the podcast, not movie, what we make. Yeah. I was going to say you should yeah. you should you should do uh, Rough Riders where he plays Teddy Roosevelt, directed by John Milius. <laughs> oh, nice! What is I, that? I that haven't I haven't heard familiar. of this movie at all. Oh, but I'm already oh, intrigued. Oh, it's a movie about the Rough Riders. It's got Tom Berenger, Gary Busey, and Sam Neill. Oh, not Rough Riders, like Sam Elliott, Sam Elliott, Sam Elliott. Rough Riders, like like uh, fuck, I forgot his name. God damn it, the DMX's gang. Yes, Ooh, yes, fuck. yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, so it's uh, not, not. I'm so mad. That. I'm so mad that I <laughs> fucked that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's DMX's Rough Riders. Uh, Steven Seagal shows up, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, it's it's like a. T- I think it was made for television, but it's about the 
the Spanish-American War, but John Milius directed it. It's got every, you know, it's got Gary Busey in it. What more do you want? Yeah. Is this yeah. 90s? Yeah, it might be like 2001. Oh, Jesus. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. <laughs> Busey in the 80s and early 90s is like, that's certified Kino. And then when it, whenever he did I'm with Busey and just Ooh. took on that character 24-7, that's when it all okay. goes down. Here. You know what? This is 97. So this is okay. All right. So he's just under. All right. Yes. I'll take it. I'll, I'm going to check that out. Uh, I just uh, looked it up also. There are six, seven. There are seven kickboxer films that have been released. And there is a, uh, an eighth that is expected called Kickboxer Armageddon. Hell yeah. What, he fights zombies? He, he, he kicks robots and aliens? Does, does Van Damme awesome. come back for any of these? I sincerely doubt it. I'm, sure, I'm, sure, he, I'm sure he came back for like seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> one of them has Dave Bautista. Ooh. Uh, there was one from 2016 with Gina Carano and Jean-Claude Van Damme. So that was, I guess, the uh, the big return. Yeah, they took a break. Uh-uh. uh-uh hold five. on. They, they, He's they got... took a break. He's got two kickboxers. He's got Retaliation from 2018 and Vengeance from 2016. Right. Okay, so they did the five in the 90s, right? So Albert Pune directed oh. two and four. One Classic Albert Pune, director of Captain America. I love and- that Albert Pune is getting like kind of reevaluated. All of his stuff's coming out on Blu-ray now. Like, like, uh, was it, I just got alien from LA from vinegar syndrome. <laughs> oh boy. David yeah. Goyer yeah. wrote the sequel to kickboxer and it has Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle is the main male star of kickboxer too. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I gotta see this. This sounds great. Yeah. And then it's just a bunch of, uh, no name actors for the, the rest of them until they do that 2016, Dave Batista, uh, Gina Carano, John Claude Van Damme reboot, which is Vengeance, which Hans referenced, and that seems to be the new series. Alien for, from LA, by the way, I, I saw that a couple of days ago because I, I saw that the screener on the screener website that I go to, and that movie is a lot of fun. Like that movie, I've never heard of it uh, before, but maybe we should we should do an episode on it because, well, maybe not. Maybe if we, if we're able to. Uh, get a like two or three that are similar because i don't know if there's enough to talk about uh for over an hour but it's one of those weird 80s what what, what would you call it like sci- it's not really sci-fi but uh genre comedy i guess that yeah. i had never heard of but it's it's a lot of 80s fun and it you know, stars it stars it stars 80s supermodel kathy ireland too <laughs> nice yeah <clears throat> Uh, Tom Matthews from the Friday the 13th uh, franchise also appears in that, according to IMDb, where it's rated 2.9 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, poor Albert Pune. One of uh, I, I... one of my favorite creative choices from Albert Pune is making the Red Skull Italian in the <laughs> Captain America movie. He's got an Italian accent. Much better one than anybody in this Sicilian movie. Do you do you honest. know who do you know who played Captain America in that movie? Uh, J.D. Salinger's son, right? Yes. Uh, what's yes. his name? Uh, oh, Matt wow. Salinger. Matt right. Salinger. That's yes. right. Yeah. What a Matt what Salinger. an interesting casting choice. And that movie, I remember I got it from Blockbuster. 
on VHS because it was like a, a rare item or whatever. And I was just so painfully bored when I was a kid. And I have the Blu-ray of it now that Sha- Shout Factory put out. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty entertaining out there superhero film, especially with a Marvel character in it, I think anyway. Well, it like the late 80s, early 90s, they just couldn't get it right between that and The Punisher, which might be like the best version of that and Fantastic yeah. Four, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was, this was probably the same era, Lorez, I would go to Blockbuster and I would rent Captain America because it was literally like the only Marvel property you could find. Yeah. And this was when I read Marvel comics, but, you know, it was like, okay, I'd seen the Batman movies and, you know, Superman or whatever. But I was like, you know, Marvel, that, this is this is it. This is all I got. So mm, I'll, I'll take it. Well, since there are also uh, uh, Doctor, what's his name? Uh, Doctor Strange. This guy. Yeah, wasn't there a Doctor well, Strange from this guy? There was a this guy. <laughs> it was Jeffrey Jeffrey Combs as Doctor Mordred. Is that yeah. what you're thinking of? Oh, is that what I'm thinking of? It that was, might be it. it, it was, so there was be Doctor Strange, but they backed out. There were made-for-TV Marvel films from the late '70s, and there was a Doctor Strange one. He had like an afro oh. and a cape. Yeah. And oh, they, I didn't know about this. Yeah, they Very made Italian. two Captain America films also, where his his mask is like a helmet for a motorcycle and he's got glasses ah, um yeah, and they yeah. also have the uh, japanese spider-man right where it was a it, i think it was released overseas as movies but they had a tv show that was short-lived in the 70s uh where it was yeah just spider-man they kind of played it like uh like a japanese superhero show like common riders or yeah you know or ultraman where he gets really big a mecha, motorcycle or, or something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like a, yeah, yeah they just <laughs> they made it they made it very uh what the trends were in Jap- japan at the time is the punisher you're talking about the Dolph Lundgren one yeah yeah oh, okay which yeah, I've uh, I, I haven't watched that in a while. I do have a DVD of it, but I watched the the Thomas Jane John Travolta one fairly. Well, actually, I didn't even really watch. It. I put it on for like ten minutes, and then I just went to the DVD extras to listen to like Stained or whatever they had like on the side. <laughs> <laughs> That's something. Hell yeah! To come back is all like the shitty Nickelback style bands. Oh on yeah, the, on the soundtrack to these yeah. like movies. Dude, uh, fat, fat bald man acoustic music. Well, the the <laughs> best, the best like butt rock was like on Spider Man when you had Josie Scott and uh, Chad Kroger yes. doing the Dude, hero hero. hero. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that brings back fucking memories. <laughs> but I, I miss the trailers where they would go featuring music by. Oh yeah, that's that was a, that was a big time for Batman Forever. <laughs> Speaking of like brings back memories, brings back memories of only two days ago when I bought oh. that on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just wanted to feel like there was a hero coming to save you. Yeah, <laughs> that's like. The if you have like a pickup truck and you're with your bunch of like a shirtless guys and just drinking beers on a lawn. That's yeah. that's the fucking that's the track. <laughs> that's the jam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh um, I well the the re- I I mean I was thinking a lot about that and I put out the tweet that Justin Wang so gracefully retweeted at like four in the morning. That's really the time to like soak up his engagement. His four in the morning, uh, where I was watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Blu-ray, the the remake, because we had just done the two shows on the original and the sequel mm-hmm. and um 
I, I went to the, the menu for special features because I don't think I had ever investigated that before. And it was music video. I always love when there's the music video special feature. <laughs> so I went over to it and it was like just some band that was ripping off Slipknot, like a bald guy covered in blood screaming. And I was like, mushroom ah. Was it Mushroom, <laughs> mushroom Head? Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Or Mudvayne or what was the oh, other one? Uh, Mudvayne. Uh, oh, man. There were a yeah, few That's the only things you can think of. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but one of my favorite DVDs that had a slew of music videos on it was Uwe Boll's Alone in the Dark. It, uh, <laughs> and it was all just, he would like take a Nightwish video and just insert clips from Alone in the Dark into the video. <laughs> it was yeah. already a video that existed, but we just, we just popped some clips from Alone in the Dark. That, that was a big thing back then. You could get away with that back in the late 90s, early aughts, just doing the, the half music video, half clips from the movie type thing, even if the music video already existed. Yeah. Ooh. ooh. Or it's just like a live performance or, or of them at like a warehouse or something, and they just cut clips of yeah. the movie. In it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what the, the best example of this is, was Daredevil with Evanescence. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a classic instance of that. Yeah, they, they had that big sequence where like Jennifer Garner's training to go take down the Kingpin and they're playing the Evanescence remix with the, you know, <laughs> can't wake up. <laughs> oh, the Marvel films really knew how to pick them back then. Oh, Spider-Man, yeah. oh. Punisher, Daredevil, all the hits. Elektra. They, did, Ooh, did Fantastic yeah. Four have one? That was like, I feel like that was right at the end. Because that yeah. was 2005. That was the same year as Batman Begins. And that's when they were like, all right, we're done doing this. We're going to start doing this. Yeah. I don't remember one in Fantastic Four, but that movie's such, that movie's such a big pile of nothing, that in the sequel, that it's, it's hard to remember I, anything from it. The only thing I remember from that movie is that Michael Chiklis was uh, the thing. That's yeah. it. Like everything that happened. Oh, and Galactus was a cloud i think yeah yeah in the uh, second one in rise of the silver surfer yeah galactus is just a big ball of gas you know he's just a cloud. Yeah. i think yeah. you see the shape of the head at one point but you know i love when they do that when they, they turn your favorite villain into a ball of gas That's... <laughs> <laughs> they did that in uh what was it in uh the green lantern green lantern with yeah. ryan reynolds the villain's oh, yes. just yeah. a big a big nebulous yeah. ball of stuff it's... It's a no. It's a ball of negativity. Yeah, it's yeah. Negative energy. <laughs> That's a movie that Fucking falls in God. between the two tones of the whole Batman Begins era and then the Spider-Man era, and it doesn't work at all. Yeah, at all. Yeah, weren't sure which uh, which direction to go. Well, it's like you know we had Batman Begins, and then everything was gritty. But with the MCU now, everything's jokey. Everything's like full of jokes, and it's. Mm-hmm. It's 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 all like everybody's quippy and everybody's uh, you know the smartest gotta, person in the we, room. We got to deconstruct everything you say. <laughs> uh, you know. Do you think the next era for for comic book adaptations is going to wind up? I mean, maybe we can't even shake loose of this. It really depends, I think, on whether or not Eternals is going to be a bomb, and I think it might be. Uh, it, it, do you think otherwise? That what? What are they going to grasp to? Joker. Zack Snyder's Justice League, are, are they, would that be setting the template? Because it feels like Warner Brothers wants nothing to do with at least the latter anyway. Well, you no. Know, so. Yeah, it, it seems like they're desperate. AT&T, I think, wants more Zack. But Warner Brothers does not. And uh, I, But as far as the tone goes, the thing is, is if, if, if you had told me right after Endgame... 
uh, and then you showed me the lineup of what they had planned, I would have been like, well, this is the Zenith. Marvel's on the mm-hmm. decline. But COVID happened. We haven't gotten any of these movies for a while. All we've gotten is streaming stuff. And that stuff's been pretty well received among that fan base. And I think once these start coming out in the movies again, I think people are going to go and see them. Uh, but I think that the biggest problem with that is that the, the, they're still doing series with characters that people care about. Yes. Uh, the, the new wave of characters that are coming is, it's a, what, another Captain Marvel, another Atman, another uh, Black Panther? Right? Yeah. Well, I remember when Captain Marvel came out, I went, oh, nobody's going to see this. This is going to tank. And it, it did well. I, yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. that I remember being extremely depressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I was thinking. I was thinking. Maybe this is the end. I always keep going. Uh, but then, here's what I'll say about Captain Marvel, though. The thing that people had to look forward to with that was, first of all, that was a layup to the next Avengers film, right? So they they tried to like make it feel like, all right, this is this is the first step to this. So people mm-hmm. were hyped about that. The second thing was they had Samuel Jackson in that still, which maybe he's not like the big box office, uh, you know, uh, name. Uh, that a Robert Downey Jr. is, but there's a familiarity that is with that film. Whereas you look to uh, you, you look to Eternals, none of those characters have been featured. They don't have any of the returning roster that are just going to like outline the supporting cast. They're really staking everything on that, and also that clearly like Chinese, like they want China to buy up big for that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shang Shang Chi or that just came out, right? That oh, yeah. that's a TV show. Well, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, that's, a movie. Plus? that's a movie. That's a good, oh, that's it's a movie. Oh, is movie. it? Yeah, I thought it was a TV show. It's a movie. Oh, I know that they're correcting the Mandarin that Shane Black put in there with that. One. Oh yeah, the real oh. Mandarin this time. That <laughs> they, they were kind of teasing that. I remember on the Blu-ray they were like, "Oh, the real Mandarin." Well, coming. they did. Yeah, they did the short film with Sam Rockwell where he goes yeah. to a prison, right? So yeah. yeah, we'll probably get the real Joker, not this Todd Phillips fake Joker. <laughs> They'll get the real Joker, and then he'll be in the new <laughs> Justice League. So that'll be good. See, but, that, but but that's that's the thing about those Marvel movies that even though they were fine, they were Ant Man, they were Captain Marvel, and whatever others, uh, they still were building up to an Avengers movie that was starring Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. You know, people that that they recognize. So it it makes sense that it would still pull people just because you want to complete all of them so that when you watch uh, Endgame or whatever whatever it was, you know everything that happens, right? Like, that's the model. Yeah. So, So I don't know. I don't know if you remove... Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, or I don't even know which one of them are coming back, but if you remove them and then the Avengers are this new group of people that they're trying to build up. Yeah, and, you know, I think think you're right because, you know, (laughs) we did just have this big buildup, so Captain Marvel, the fan base is not going to want to miss it um, because they – they feel like they have to have all the puzzle pieces together to watch the last one. But, you know, and <clears throat> I know that we didn't have anything this meticulous, but we've seen a big property recently try to re restaff itself with entirely new characters with star Wars. And that didn't go well. You know? yep. <laughs> and we've had, we've spent a lot more time on the screen with these characters that they've killed off or they're getting rid of, or they're ushering mm-hmm. out the door I don't know how well that's going to go over if, if these people are going to stay around for it. But I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it, we may just be get diminishing returns. I don't know. We'll see. But 
Maybe I'm just old too. <laughs> Be- <laughs> you know, uh, because I remember being very bright eyed when these movies started. Oh, me too. Uh, and uh, being so excited the first time that I ever saw Hawkeye on screen because he was my favorite comic book character when I was a kid. Uh, well, you and, gotta think uh, for archery because I remember you saying, "Oh, the Arrow show. I really like the Arrow show, the Green Arrow TV show." Yeah. Did you whenever I play like something a, where you were doing archery as like a little boy? no 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 but like for whatever reason that's Did always you look at like the, the character. Go, hey, that, that could be me. That's me on there. Well, every time I, I saw brought out the arrow when I saw Robin Hood, I was like, I want to be him. I want to steal from people. I want to give it to the poor. You wanted to like be like Salva- You wanted to be like Salvatore. Yeah, exactly. Juliana, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted to steal yeah. grain and you wanted to kidnap <laughs> aristocrats and. <laughs> but 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 I also think that another problem that this second. Well, no, this is like what third phase or fourth phase fourth of the MCU phase. is that the characters that they've introduced are not very likable. You know, when they introduced Captain America, Iron Man, uh, and Thor, they were at least Iron Man was a flawed character that you still liked and root for because you see him doing things and, and overcoming things. And same with Captain America, who's, you know, very naive and very patriotic, but he's still like a good guy. So you'd root for him. Thor is like an alien that, that it's very silly and very innocent, but he's also very strong and very noble. You introduce these characters with Captain, uh, what's her name? Uh, how Captain did I fucking forget it already? Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Literally, literally the name of the company, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Cap- <laughs> Captain Marvel, who was very, off like very snarky very like quick even when she's in uh an end game when she has that exchange with thor where she's just like very sassy and very like eh, that's I, I don't know if those characters that are bringing up now and especially with the eternals that i'm uh, most people i'm assuming are not very familiar with those characters and i'm assuming that because i'm not uh, I'm, I'm sure that it has a, a fan base but that those are not characters that are very uh, popular or mentioned whenever people talk about comics. Uh, but I, I don't see that appeal of uh, those characters that we're going to root for to fight against a, a Thanos character with this new phase of, of movies. I just feel like uh, they don't feel like uh, they're doing anything new like the other ones were at the beginning. So I don't know where the pool is going to come from. I guess people that have just been seen everything and they want to complete everything, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I again, I, I guess I'm just old because I'm not excited about these movies at all. But they just don't feel as inspired as no. As certainly, beginning. I mean, they're obviously not. But you can't underestimate like the, uh, the completionist yeah. impulse in people because that's why people buy Funko Pops. I was about to say, if you, it's the Funko Pop <laughs> like your mindset. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's right. Star Wars now. So they they know that they have a guaranteed amount of people. That will show up and it might justify making the movie like they might just barely make enough. I don't know. I don't know. I, look, uh, we, we've spoken so much about Disney and Marvel. We, we, can, we, yeah. We'll put that to rest. But not not enough about Mike Cimino. No, yeah. certainly not. I was going to say that. <laughs> you know, this character is a very like Whitey Bulger type character where he just like decides to show up to a town. He's like, yeah, I think I'm just going to run this town. I think I'm just going to, you know bull my way through everybody in the police uh the difference was though that whitey bulger was a rat that was working with the fbi and from from our knowledge uh that is not the case with the noble christopher lambert he would never dream of that they work for him he would never he would never dream of mowing down a bunch of people at a rally (laughs) in order to intimidate them into not voting (laughs) 
<laughs> and then go, I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, I, I really enjoyed the scene in this movie where it's like the he kills the barber. Right. Or he yes. goes to the barber. OK, so he does that and he's pleading. He's like, oh, my son. And they just they shoot him in the face anyway, multiple times. Mm-hmm. And, they, uh, you know, he has that discussion later on. It's like, well, you know, if you dare give him these shoes and he just like shows up scared and nervous at the little boy's home mm-hmm. holding these shoes. And he's like, I, I'm going to I'm going to take care of you now. I said <laughs> that I said I would do it. I swore <laughs> to him I'd do it. I may have killed your father, but I'm going to take care of you. <laughs> You know, I'm gonna I I'm gonna do you proud. I'm gonna take care of you, son. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even though I I uh you know made it made, gonna make it make it hard for you to grow up. You know, don't have a dad, but here I am with your shoes. Yeah, and his watch, <laughs> which have his blood on them. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> this used to belong to your dad. You can clone him out of it. This yeah, is over it. <laughs> Listen, I've read these science fiction books. You save this. Store it in a cool, dry place in Sicily. I don't know where that is, but, you know. Hunter, can you make sense of this goal of his where he wants he wants it to be absorbed by the United States and become part of the United States? Mm-hmm. Can you can you clarify this to to Hans and myself where we're just kind of. Well, I guess just myself because Hans is a fool. I'm listening. Player. I'm still listening. He's going to pee. Okay. I'm still listening. So he wants j- to become the next state, right? Right, yes. Uh, so- oh, I was just going to say, Giuliano was very, um, in real life, uh, very partial to the United States um, and really looked to the United States for support. And, um, you know, I think his parents had spent time there. Um and so in the movie, I don't ever remember reading anything. I'm no, I'm no authority on Giuliano, but I haven't read anything that said he tried to be, you know, have Sicily become the next state. But even the characters in the movie explain that this is insane because yeah. the United States is really far away from, from, uh, from Sicily. And Sicily is right next, is part of Italy, which is a big power center. Um, but, you know, you have to also understand that Italy being one thing was pretty new. Uh, it was about a hundred years old at that point because Italy was a collection of kingdoms that were united by Vittorio Emmanuel. And, but a lot of these different kingdoms still like the Sicilians still thought of themselves as kind of their own people. Right. You know? Right. And when you go to Italy, uh, you know, you know, you go to Rome and you know, you, Oh, I just came from Naples. Ah, you know, they're not really Italians. You know, <laughs> they're not like <laughs> us, you know, they, they, you know, they, they all like crap talk. They all, talk all kinds of crap about each other but we do that in the u.s too yeah, yeah. it feels very it feels very like english and uh irish yeah beef that they got going on oh also, big Hans, I'm, I'm so glad you didn't mute your microphone so we could the toilet flush as we explain <laughs> I know. i'm sitting here i'm sitting here talking about italian politics and i'm like and i'm like oh <laughs> listen i was trying to do commentary like <laughs> Uh, like it was done in that Salo movie about what I think, but uh, another, Italian another, politics. Yeah, another <laughs> film about the complexities of Italian politics. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> That's one exactly. thing, though. This movie doesn't really go into. A, I think one reason this that's confusing, Lorez, is the movie doesn't really give you a very complete political picture outside of Italy. Like at the beginning when they're smuggling grain, you don't know that the U S this is happening because the U S has invaded Italy. 
right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's never, it's, it's barely mentioned. We just know this is around World War II, but they're in the middle of World War II. Italy's being invaded by the United States at that point. And so one reason they're smuggling grain is the, the, the supply lines are all jacked up. Um, and so I don't think the movie does a good job of kind of giving you that complete political situation. It does spend a lot of time talking about the politics in Sicily, uh, you know, with the different power centers, with the mafia, with the church, blah, blah, blah. But um, it doesn't really give you that outside perspective. And that's important because, you know, Giuliano was uh, featured in the American press. It touches on that. We see him on the cover of Life magazine. But, uh, you know, he was interviewed by an American journalist, um, Michael Stern, I think was his name. And he dressed up like an American soldier, even though he wasn't really one, to kind of make Giuliano think he was official. <laughs> That's a very like Yukio Mishima type move where he's just going to dress up in like Japanese army garb, even yeah. though he's never served a day in his life. He's just going to dress up as like an admiral, you know? Yes. Yeah. I love that kind of eccentric uh, behavior. <laughs> I, go to, I just, I'm going to LARP as this thing that I'm not. <laughs> and hopefully you'll buy it. We don't uh, really but, have that anymore. It's, I mean, at least not in the United States. I, I've said before, the closest thing we have to that is like a Gavin McInnes type where he got, he just bit off way too much, got too insane, got too crazy. But unlike Yukio Mishima, who had like this big, exciting, kind of noble ending, trying to storm, uh, uh, or rather, what was he trying to do? He was trying to... Uh, restore power the to capital. the emperor and no he oh. well it wasn't the capital that there was that's a different day it was no, like a, it was like a it was like a <laughs> japan barely has a military but it was like a military building yes yeah, so, so he he stormed the military base he was trying to like do a coup and uh it didn't work out couldn't get the military on his side which i think he knew and he thought this would be like a great way to end his life uh yeah. gavin mckinnis just just goes to like shittier and shittier websites that's really his <laughs> He just retreats to darker corners. Of yeah, the he will be exclusively <laughs> within the next five years. He will be exclusively dark web. I can assure you that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, what, what does he have now? Uncensored TV and that's gone. Show? That's going to be gone soon. He's oh, firing see. people from that because nobody's signing up. Nobody's bringing in new viewers. So that'll be gone before you know it. Well, because he's one of those guys who anything he touches, payment processors get revoked and right. stuff like that. Yeah. You know, he's one of those people who's just radioactive he should have went to the capitol he should have stormed the capitol (laughs) that would have been the best that would have gotten his audience back yeah he went he went eight out of ten and when you're that type of guy and you do that much the only way to finish is to go 10 out of 10 he didn't do that he's a coward i'll call him out right now Gavin mcginnis (laughs) is a coward Anyway, I'm yeah. not advocating for the capital to be stormed or any political action of any sort. I'm just saying if you're a Gavin McInnes type guy and yeah. you were like famous for starting Vice and you go off and you do this wild eccentric thing that's crazy and dangerous, go all the way. That's the only way to finish. You got to you got to finish like John McAfee. You know? Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's yeah, a guy yeah. who took it to its logical conclusion. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the best way he could go out. When Hans told me that, I was like, "What legend?" Perfect yes. conclusion. Way to go. Hang himself, hang himself with shit in his throat. Very <laughs> best way to go. <laughs> yes. And yes. Uh, the Q post after the fact. Great practical joke. Amazing yes. troll. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. Gavin 
should be more like John. That's all I'm saying. And you know, look an inspiration the, look to us all that John McAfee. He got a guy killed for killing his dog, right? Yeah. Real life John Wick. <laughs> which is which is what you want to do if someone would kill your dog. So I feel that he's one of my heroes. Yeah. You know, he put so many third world country people through school. You know, the only payment he wanted was diarrhea in his mouth once a day, which is very noble, you know, getting rid of, you know, the, I just, whatever these Filipino women were, were excreting out of their asshole. I, I, just, I just remember Creole. I just, oh, I where did he live? I don't even know where he was. On the living. high seas, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's like Elron Hubbard, like out just living out on the ocean, you know. No, so he's getting shit on on a boat. <laughs> that just makes it worse somehow. <laughs> he, t- he took Andy Samberg's advice, you know. It's very uh very like opposite of Waterworld, you know, instead of the Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in Waterworld, they hand out cigarettes, right? That was the big thing. They're, they're tossing out cigarettes. Too. Oh, right. Yeah, they got the smokers. Mm. <laughs> we but, might have to uh, do a, a Kevin Costner retrospective yeah. on the oh, show. God damn. You think you, you, think you could do that? <laughs> uh, I'm sure. You gotta, um, we've done wars, so fine. Uh, you gotta, he's got... He's got a bunch of good ones though, but we should do the bad ones. Yeah. Well, it depends. Are you, you want to talk directing? You want to talk acting or producing even? Because he produced yeah. a lot of the movies he acted in uh, that he's widely associated with, and it's assumed that he directed, even though he didn't. I just don't really want to watch Bull Durham and fucking the body <laughs> okay. bodyguard and oh, the you know, bodyguard. All those f- draft yeah, day. Yeah, I'm good. What yeah. election day? What, do you want to watch a Swing Vote? Yeah, the movie where he gets to decide the election. Oh. You know. He's yeah, I love movies salt of the like earth that. guy. Dennis Hopper's yeah. trying to get him to vote for him. Uh, one of the one one with him that's kind of a good one. Uh, it was from the director of Waterworld. Uh, was Fandango? Did you ever see Fandango? No, I don't think I've even heard of it. Oh, that's a good one. Go check it out. It's uh, got Kevin Costner and Judd Judd Nelson, and uh, yeah, Kevin Reynolds directed it. Who did Prince of Thieves and uh, Waterworld? But it's the best movie they've done together by far. Uh, very interesting and i assume yeah. this is 90s as well because uh, this is like 80s I think. okay so 85. it was judd nelson before he he really fell off before he yeah, started yeah, steel yeah, and yeah no, no. by the lake or whatever those movies are called those lifetime no, this horror is, movies this was back when he was still john hughes judd nelson um but it's like a college road movie it's really good hmm. um but that's like early vintage costner <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think uh, what what was probably like the biggest movie? Uh, Dances with Wolves. No, that was eighty nine. That's the that biggest one. Eighty nine or ninety. He did the Big Chill and played the corpse oh, and the had no chill. lines. Didn't didn't they shoot some stuff with him? But they totally cut it out. I think he was supposed to have a bigger role, but yeah, he just ended up being the body. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, everything. I think we should. Cut. I think we should do an episode on his TV series called Yellowstone. Oh yeah! Um, Didn't Taylor Sheridan for... do that? Yeah, that, that yes. was that was a miniseries that got. I mean, it was pretty well received. I remember that doing oh. like uh, putting up really good ratings. It's got like three seasons, I think. Oh well, I'm stupid. Never mind. What were you thinking? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's, ah, he got a showcase. Yeah, five episodes. It, it says it says a ranch family in Montana Montana faces off against others encroaching on their land. So he's like Sounds... the Bundy family. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it's just. <laughs> It's just like who cares, you know? But I guess 
people care. Yeah, it, it's I I have some family members who are big fans of that show. We can do Molly's Game. You're a big fan of that one, Loris. Molly's Game. What is? We can do Hidden I'm, Figures. Hidden. He was in Hidden Figures. I didn't know he was in Hidden Figures. I thought he just Apparently. disappeared after Man of Steel. To be honest with you, because he, he, I mean, the only time he would ever pop up was, I mean, it was always as like a leading man. So you would see him in obviously his '90s films like Waterworld, Postman, what we talked about. But I mean, at the end, he was doing doing the movies like Draft Day and Swing Vote. So I didn't. I mean, I didn't think he had it in him to play a supporting role for real. Well, he he also a couple years ago he did that movie where he played uh, Frank Hamer, the guy who killed Bonnie and Clyde, the Highwayman, which was oh, for yeah. Netflix. He was in that. Yeah, that was not great. That was I very long and boring. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I read a book about uh, Frank Hamer, though. My goodness, that guy's life is a crazy action movie. Just the Bonnie and Clyde stuff's the most boring thing. Like everything else in that guy's life is nuts. <laughs> God damn, he has so many fucking movies i uh anybody remember Mr. you remember mr brooks you remember that one? Oh, dane oh yeah <laughs> critically acclaimed turn is what he's a detective in that movie or something isn't he a serial killer who like yeah, if, he, yeah he's, he's like, like a neighbor creepy neighbor yeah uh-huh. and it's like it, it's like he talks to him it's kind of like fight club or something doesn't he have like a alter ego or so i don't know like they greenlit, they greenlit that around the time of uh, like Dexter was a big show and the books were selling. They were like, hmm, yeah. we're going to do a serial killer movie. We'll do Mr. Brooks. And it kind okay. of it kind of had sort of a Fincher type aesthetic, I seem to recall. Um, but I could be wrong. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 what, I think that, I've watched, I half paid attention to it when it was on like cable. It was on like Showtime or Cinemax or something. And I haven't seen it in like 10 years, probably since it came out. Was but, that the first... Dane Cook vehicle they tried. Uh, he oh, tried right. him Cook was a month. Uh, yeah, he had comedies, but then he was like a serious actor for Mr. Brooks, where he's, yeah. I, I think he played the investigator. He was playing a detective in that movie. What did he have? Oh, right. He had employee of the month, waiting. Uh, well, waiting, he was more like a special guest star, cameo, and he, Dane with Dane Cook as like he had a crazy he had a good luck. He had a small role in Mystery Men, if I recall. That's right. Yeah, he was like, uh, what was it, the Waffle Iron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, Waffler, yeah. He was in, uh, wait, what? uh, Good Luck Chuck? I don't know if you guys remember that classic. Oh, sure. That was his second, like, big comedy. Uh, And then there was another comedy, My Best Friend's Girl, starring Kate Hudson and Jason Biggs. Jason Biggs perpetually cucked with an (laughs) ace. He, plays the, he gets cast as the cuck in everything. Loser, Orange is the New Black. Just a pathetic man. It's got to be on purpose. Yeah, it's just the 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 the, the physiognomy there. It's just it you can believe that too easily. You know he's been in that situation absolutely <laughs> before. It's like uh, like when you watch The Wire and you're like, oh, these criminals seem very real. I believe their performance is because they were criminals. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same yeah. thing, but yeah. Right. I think he even played himself with that kind of with that kind of energy in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's true. Oh, Jesus Christ, Jason Biggs. God damn. Professionally, Jason Biggs. Jason. You know, you know what's a what's a fun Costner movie, even though it's not a good movie. I, I still enjoyed it. Was uh, Three Thousand Miles to Graceland? 
Oh, Kurt Russell. Yeah, yeah it was a Warner Brothers picture, late 90s. I, yeah. That was always in like the $5 bin at oh, yeah. for yeah. DVDs. You could always find it at Big Lots or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. The Sicilian. Do we have any, Hans, did you have any gripes on the Sicilian we did not address? I was going through my notes and the only gripe that I had was that... Um, not the only gripe that I had. The it only one that we haven't enough. mentioned. You wanted it to be even no. longer. You wish you had that director. <laughs> well, you wish no. you had that. Yeah, I've got it. I'll send it to you. <laughs> no. Uh, the the <laughs> other, other reason why this didn't feel like an Italian movie is because the only two women that they casted here are the most boring, bland, skinny, nothing women that they could get when at this time... <laughs> Italian actresses in Italian movies were beautiful and had personality and like a lot of everything, right? Here, like you, you see, it's just like it's just even the Americans, just like it's, like you know, I I, I I smell a common theme with Chimino is that he doesn't cast women very well. Mm. Uh, you know, it's been a minute since I've seen The Deer Hunter. Um, but I know Meryl Streep was in that. But you look at, like, You're the Dragon. You look at The Sicilian. You look even at Heaven's Gate. Isabel Huppert is kind of... That was one mm-hmm. that the producers did not want to cast her. Uh, Stephen Bach said in his book, he goes, I think she has a face like a potato. <laughs> he said, I didn't want to cast her, but Chimino insisted. And, you know, he was hot off the deer hunter. So we, we kind of. Yeah, it, it seems like he didn't care at all. And he just was envious the entire time. He wanted to be the woman in all of his movies, kissing those <laughs> handsome hunks. And that's what he became. Well, well, it's because you don't you don't really believe that because also their performance is not great. Like there's not much to those characters. So they, they just end up being bland that, you know, they're put in situations where you're supposed to care for them or like they're, you know, when, when he starts killing people and the, the, the redhead girl is like all against it or whatever, who cares? Like, who are you? Like, you don't matter. You've never mattered in this movie. You're just an extra character. Who cares? Like she's very bland, nothing. Uh, and that's a missed opportunity, especially if you're setting it in Italy, because in this time, you know, people like uh, Sophia Loren or uh, uh, Isabella Rossellini, that's another one that I, I can think of that, that are a presence by just having them on screen. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was a huge miss here because like that, I, I just couldn't care for those two characters because they were so nothing. They're so bland. Uh, no. Yeah, I think absolutely. And one thing too, Chimino focuses on is the, the male friendship is kind of the big thing in his movies. Mm-hmm. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, Jeff Bridges and Clint Eastwood, that, that relationship, ship in that that is the movie that makes the movie also that film has gary Busey in it too but, um, terrific mm. yeah. he's, he's always Dude. best as the third guy in a movie yeah. yeah he's he's in it he's not in it as much as you'd like but he's there um, but uh but uh in deer hunter deer hunter is a movie about male friendships you know it's all about the boys you know hanging out uh and going to vietnam and coming back and everything's screwed up Playing games in the jungle. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, one, one of the reasons the Sicilian doesn't work is because the male friendship that's there doesn't really work, as we discussed. Right. If you put in Mickey Rourke and Eric Roberts instead, you got a banger of a film, I think. 
Big yeah. time. Especially, especially at that time, 87, <laughs> Mickey Rourke and 87, Aaron yes. Roberts. Yeah. yeah. Pope, the Pope yeah. of Greenwich Village was, was what? Like 85, 86, 80, around that time. It could have worked terrifically. That was another one Chimino almost directed. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, who did wind up directing that movie? Ooh. Let Just me like look that up. Pope of... Um, it was... Stuart Rosenberg. Uh, I don't even know that. I don't know that name yeah. off the top of my head. He, yeah, he I, did I know Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke. That was him. Uh, there were two other actors that were attached. Was it was it De Niro and somebody else, or maybe Al Pacino was was in the mix there to play the uh, the two characters? I don't know. I I know that Michael uh, Cimino had different actors in mind, and Mickey Rourke hmm. and Eric Roberts were were brought in once they did the swap. I did not. I'm not sure. Pope of Greenwich Village. I've actually never seen. I um, that's one that's missed passed me by. Um, but he almost Chimino almost directed Flashdance, not Flashdance, uh, Footloose as well. I get those two confused. That would have been Flash, bizarre. That would yeah. have been so peculiar. Yeah. And uh, one of his projects that he never got going, but <laughs> that he talked about in interviews was he wanted to do an adaptation of the fountainhead with Clint Eastwood as Howard Rourke, wow. <laughs> which boy, I've tried to picture that in my head. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm into it. But now Clint Eastwood though, 87 year old Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah, the Clint Eastwood. Every time I think Clint is done, like I was like, okay, the mule, that's it. Okay. Clint's done Please. acting. He's out, no. you know, see you later. No. Nope. Cry macho. He's got one more in him. You know, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Looking forward to Gran Torino 2, right? Gran Torino 2 is um, where he defends Asians now. (laughs) (laughs) He comes comes back from the dead. Yeah. 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 I'm a spirit now. And he just does this. (laughs) But he can fire mind bullets from his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like anime where he just he does it, but then the people just explode. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's like a scanner's like reaction to his bullets. Hell yeah. It would be great if he was like, uh, if they took more of a death wish approach and they set him in New York City where all the Asian hate crimes are happening. And, uh, you know, he was just taking out the bad guys. I think that would be just just fine. Wouldn't that work? You think that would work? Yeah. Hans? Yes. <laughs> I want to see Beth Wish starring uh, 88-year-old Clint Eastwood. Killing dude, dude, people Clint, of color in New York. Clint, <laughs> Clint is, uh, Clint's like 91. He's, he's, oh, is he? he's, in his, he's in his 90s. And you, Hans, Hell you yeah. laugh when That's we talk better. about Richard Donner doing Lethal Weapon 5 and <laughs> Goonies 2. It's hey, happening. It's all Clint's happening. Made a, Clint's made a special stuff. You know, I, I found out that um, his... <laughs> The the guys who the doctors who prescribe him his vitamins wrote the last Dirty Harry movie, and were, I looked them up and they were like these people who advocated like you know multivitamin big doses of multivitamins and they did this with Clint and I was going well maybe there's something to this I should start yeah. taking multivitamins Clint's still around <laughs> <laughs> he's he's obviously doing something right he's outlived them all and uh, you know Chimino. Uh, you know, was mentored by him and, you know, he's gone. Yeah. But, uh, but Chimino would always talked about, he said, I never went to film school. I, I never studied anything. He goes, I just learned it all from Clint. He goes, Clint taught me everything I know. You just had to be on set with him and, you know, <laughs> you know, watch him do his thing. 
which is funny because Chimino had this reputation for being so extravagant and doing a lot of takes and being kind of fussy and picky, which Clint is decidedly the opposite. Um, Holy shit. Yeah, that Craig Macho thing that you guys were talking about, I was not not aware of at all. He looks like he looks like Joe Biden now. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, Clint's, this Clint's is old, awesome. older than Clint's older than Joe. Yeah. Look, he's more. Yeah, he's he seems, more yeah. he seems more together. Um, but uh, but yeah. you know, I was watching a, a Clint movie the other day, The Rookie, with him and Charlie Sheen. Oh yeah, seen? yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that which is which was written by like Sam Raimi's people, like Scott Spiegel and uh, Boaz Yakin, and it's a totally bonkers weird movie. But there's like a fight scene in the movie, and there you can see the camera go over, and you see Clint standing there with the crew during this fight scene. You know, Clint was just <laughs> he just he just would even if there was a massive mistake like that. All right, let's move on. You know, they won't notice to fight the camera. I see Clint standing right there and he's not even in the scene. You see him standing there directing. (laughs) But, but Jimino just had, he had this reputation for like, Oh, the clouds aren't just right. Oh, Oh, yeah. But I think, I think, uh, you know, Jimino's a guy who shunned the press. And directors who shun the press, you know, his appearance didn't help things later on, but they tend to get reputations for being kind of wacky, you know, like, like Terrence Malick is kind of an example of a guy. There's a lot of stories about Malick out there. Uh, many of But isn't that, isn't, isn't that better though? Yeah. Like uh, this is something that we, that we talk about all the time. I think it makes the films more interesting and the directors more interesting when they just shut their mouth and avoid talking about these things. Yeah, because you know you have a guy like Terrence Malick who sounds like Hank Hill when he talks. You know he's very <laughs> Middle America. Doesn't seem that interesting when you talk to him. But uh, but you know because he doesn't talk to anybody, it's like oh he's this genius who's right, <laughs> yes. right. hiding somewhere. It it does, and I think too it like you said it makes the movies more interesting because you can take away from it as an audience member whatever your experience was. Right, you don't have any sort of idea of where they're coming from with uh, you know, a particular political perspective necessarily or um, you know, just their thoughts and I mean, you can you can read an interview with a director and it might be like a they might be talking about something meaningless, just like a TV show or something. Mm-hmm. And you might realize in that moment that, you know, they're just they're they're a fucking idiot, you know? Like Stephen <laughs> King is a is a great example of this. Oh, where, big time. And I'll leave the politics out of it in this case where you just, you know, and I knew this as early as like 2007 or eight where he'd recommend a movie or a TV show and it would be a big pile of shit. I'd be like, yeah, what? You like yeah. this? Oh, I used to read his because at this job I had, we'd get entertainment weekly every week at the office and I would always pop it open. And the first thing in there was Stephen King's column. And he was always recommending horrible movies just horrible yeah, films yeah. and i remember one time he goes he goes when you take my recommendations just understand when i'm in the movie theater i'm going oh boy i'm in the movie theater <laughs> i was going well, that's oh my quite apparent. God. that's Is quite apparent <laughs> i'm pretty sure he he wrote a glowing review of like the day after tomorrow or one of those big forgettable Oof. epic end of the world 2012 movies. You know, actually somewhere. yes it was 2012 i think it was 2012 <laughs> oh Something directed by Roland Emmerich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something completely hollow that's nothing but what you're seeing on screen. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's and I mean you can you can really see with the the movies that he lends his stories to, you know, there's the more misses. I think it's like a ninety percent record of pile of shit movies compared to the good movies that are based on the Stephen King. So yeah. and also you can you can really tell by watching The Shining and then his shining, uh, that he's yeah, he's oh. he doesn't really <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you you know, Stephen King spent all those years pissing and moaning about Kubrick's Shining. Well, he got to put up, and it's out there for the world to see. It's right there. Yeah, my favorite thing was when I was, uh, you know, in the early days of the internet, you'd go on the Stephen King message board or something, and you would see debates occur. And not not even just on the Stephen King message board, but like film message boards in general. People would be like, yeah, but it's closer to the book. So that, I mean, I think it's better because of that. It's a bet. I mean, when I go back and watch The Shining, I'm watching that 1997 Shining. And it would literally, it would be like, it would be closer than you think that discussion in terms of like people going on this side, people going on that that side. Just because, I mean, there was a, I guess there was a point in time where people thought that was like a valid excuse to praise a movie. It is like, right. it's, it's uh, authenticity to the book. And uh, yeah. that's, that's maybe the worst case of that. I, I don't, you know, it's, it's an adaptation. You know, like it just because it works on the page doesn't mean it works on the screen. And uh, there's the some people have this purist mindset where we have to have the text up on the screen. One place you see this, the most egregious place is in biblical adaptations. You know, depending on where they come from, sometimes, you know, you'll see you'll see the most, you know, literal interpretations and some depending on who's interpreting whatever the scripture is, you know, it, it, there's a big difference between somebody like a Zeffirelli or a Pasolini or a Mel Gibson. Then, or Noah. What, what's this movie? Uh, uh, Noah, Noah Aronofsky. Aronofsky with the rock monsters. <laughs> he yeah. brings in all of the, yeah, he brings in all the esoteric weird stuff, but, uh, but no, there, there's just, there's a lot of more literal minded, adaptations of the Bible, literal minded meaning like the text has to be up on the screen. If it's not, you know, it, 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 it doesn't really work. That I, I like ignoring that type of people the same way that I ignore people that tell you that you have to read the books to connect the story yeah. between movies. <laughs> Cause it's just like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm here to watch a movie. I don't, I don't need to read 20 books about the story of this guy's dad to understand why he's acting this way. Right. Like, like Star Wars. That movies have definitely fallen into that are based on uh, text is that exact thing where they're expecting the majority of the audience or at least uh, 50% of it to be familiar with the book already. And they will just gloss over certain things that like in- would make this a movie that would make it accessible to somebody who knows nothing. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a tremendous problem. I got to say, I haven't seen any past the third one, but that's a complaint I would hear a lot about the Harry Potter films was that they would kind of gloss over things or not. You know, they would kind of assume that you would fill these things in because they were like, everybody's read these books. They're the most widely read right. things on the planet. You know, they've practically replaced scripture as, you know, <laughs> for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, Still, uh, so that's, a little yeah. Better embarrassing adults <laughs> yeah yeah and and so like I, I that's a common complaint i would hear though with those films is that they would just kind of gloss over certain things and assume well that you've read it so 
Yeah, and that's that. I I think that's certainly the case because you do have a different uh, tone with the earlier Harry Potter films where you have Chris Columbus directing them, and then yeah. around the time that uh, I think it was Alfonso Cuaron directed the third one, yeah, uh, that's yeah. the the first stab at like going okay, well they are familiar with what what this is all about. We'll take certain liberties here with this and that. And, uh, you know, it's up to the audience member to figure it out or not figure it out, whether or not they're, uh, you know, familiar with book three onward. So, yeah, that, that I mean, uh, and that's that's such an annoying thing that uh, I don't think it's prominent, but it's certainly noticeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was another series, too, that, you know, they got one director, they settled on one director later on and sort of went for that more consistent vibe where, you know, they kind of wanted to have a consistent voice throughout kind of the way the Marvel movies have, although they've, they've got different directors, but they've kind of figured out a way to consolidate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read the book, The Sicilian? Cause you seem knowledgeable mm-hmm. about it. No, I haven't. I actually bought it recently because I was reading about it. Um, but when I was kind of reading up on stuff for the show, I was shocked to find out it, it does tie into the Godfather universe. Um, and, you know, Godfather Part 2 and 3 were not books, as far as I know. Uh, weren't they just movies? Or I, Well, I, my imp- and I haven't read it, uh, any of the Godfather books. My impression was yeah, that the, um, the first book encapsulates a lot of that first movie and second movie. And Godfather okay. 3 was entirely, uh, I think, an original idea from uh, both Coppola and Mario Puzo uh, before Puzo's death. Mm. And uh, the Sicilian, I think, was it was it written in the 1980s as well. So it was probably I, his his method of trying to cash in and get another Godfather sequel out or I something related. I think so. Uh, the Sicilian, okay, I've got it right here. It came out in '84. So right. So it feels yeah. very like whenever they're going to do a Frank Miller movie or something, and they're like, Frank, can you just can you go write something real quick, and we'll just say it's based <laughs> on that, like 302 and Sin City two and everything uh that netflix show it's like just 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 write anything at all we need you we'll have to legitimize to it yes <laughs> nowadays it's just like it's other comic book artists and writers just like over his shoulder like don't do that yeah no more of that all right i'll take it from here frank listen frank we can't we can't that, that's too politically incorrect frank you can't do that frank we can't we can't have the taliban as the bad guy in this it's 2021 they're not even yeah. around anymore frank <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that Batman comic book he did that was like Batman holy fighting terror. Taliban. Yeah, I holy terror. It. Yeah, it's I mean, a, I, hey, it's actually pretty good. Uh, but it, I mean, it's like it's it's uh, it's the same as the Sicilian. You know, you know, the characters are supposed to be these characters from something that exists, but yeah. they're just slightly different. Like uh, the Fixer is Batman, but he doesn't have the ears, and you have a Catwoman yeah. surrogate, and they all look like exactly Frank Miller's two thousands uh, rendition of them. But just just tweaked a bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. Different name. But no, I've never read the book. I picked up a copy of it, though, used the other day uh, to, to dive into. But, but I, I would say if you're interested in this story, uh, check out Salvatore Giuliano, uh, the film by Francesco Rossi, which is available through Criterion. And that's a neorealist film. It's from 1961. So it's only like 11 years after Giuliano's death. Uh, And Giuliano, you know, again, going with the theme of him being this, you know, sort of messianic figure, he never, he's not a real, you only see him as a corpse in the movie. And it's all about events surrounding 
his banditry and hmm. all of that going on in Sicily. It's very neorealist, very uh, experimental for the time, kind of uh, disconnected plot. I'm not disconnected, but disjointed. It, it, the plot is not chronological, um, but it's, it's a very acclaimed film. Like Scorsese is a big fan. Coppola is a big fan. Like they, you know, it's, it's got a pretty, it's a pretty well-regarded film. But Giuliano is not the main character in it. He's just sort of presented as a dead guy, <laughs> a legend, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think it's an interesting story. I just don't think that this particular movie does that justice. Uh, I mean, anybody with like a very ambitious goal or goals like like this character, uh, you know, it's just asking for a great movie to be made. So I might wind up checking that out. Yeah. I did cancel Criterion Channel a while back before their Instagram post, actually. But uh, who knows? I don't know. Maybe I'll get well, uh, get something from Hans's special movie theater that he always gets yeah. screeners from, you know? Hell yeah. Well, it's it's only on DVD, so it's probably pretty cheap. Oh. But, but yeah, that's because that's what I've, I've got the DVD copy. I don't think they've given it a Blu-ray, you know? Mm. Well, uh, The Sicilian is now our second... Michael Cimino film to be covered. Uh, Hans, what do you prefer between this and Year of the Dragon? That's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> Year of the Dragon is shorter. So that one. You really right? think it's shorter, on, right? You, you really think these are comparable movies? No, but you, you're throwing it at me. You're the one that's doing this, no, not no, me. No, no, no. <laughs> you're just, you're, you're, your grounds for picking Year of the Dragon is really simply just because that's shorter. Yeah, because I didn't enjoy either of them. You but enjoyed this one, the Dragon the same amount as this movie? Yeah. Wow. I would say that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're the Dragon. Look, again, this movie was not my favorite. It was maybe not even yeah. my cup of tea, but I, I, you know, I don't think it's a bad movie necessarily. You're the Dragon's an exciting, cool, great film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this one is exciting too. Mickey uh, Rourke has people blonde hair. Getting shot. This, this guy shoots a barber in the face and we see it. That's, That's pretty cool. And there, That's the coolest also, moment. There's also a scene where they, they shoot into a communist rally celebration. Yeah. 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 No, and then there's people in the hospital bloodied too. up. It's yeah. great. Hey, I'll, I'll never uh, you know deprive it that <laughs> compliment that there are some good gunfights in this movie. Uh, but come on. Year of, the Dragon, Year of the Dragon also has John Lone, who I'm a big fan of. I love that guy. He's got yes. a great voice. Yeah. I honestly I honestly don't remember anything about Year of the Dragon. You need to go, at I think all. we gotta do Year of the Dragon part two. Where you when you when you, the movie. when you when you guys were talking about all the Asian hate that he or he got about being racist or whatever against Asian people, I was like, what happened in the movie that was racist? Like I couldn't remember <laughs> anything about it that's racist. Well, like, so Mickey, that's, well what's what's funny about it, it's it was kind of baffling to me because one of the things is Mickey Rourke's character is kind of a racist guy, and that's what the movie's kind of about. Right. I mean, that's what kind I, of, well, I mean. It, it's a component to his character. It's not really what he's about. Right. Uh, he right. did fight in the Vietnam War and he's yeah. got the Chinese girlfriend. He's just like, I hate your people so much. You're disgusting. You're vermin. Now let's go to bed. I need to have sex with you immediately. And your apartment's mine now. You, you <laughs> I think that's how Mickey Rourke is in real life. I don't know. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> One of my friends worked on uh, Sin City. And he said that, that Mickey Rourke would go to his trailer 
and he'd have all his dogs in there and he'd go, Where's my babies? <laughs> uh, I've heard uh, I've heard he's uh he can be a pain to work with if he doesn't respect you. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know, other other people say, you know, he's he's just fine, he's dandy, he's a very sweet man. He loves his 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 pets. Yep. That's what that's what I've heard. Uh I love have you ever read that uh have you ever seen the movie Barfly? I love Barfly. He's yeah. a great uh Bukowski in that film. Yeah. Did you read the book Hollywood? I've, I started reading a little bit of it, but I haven't finished it. And it's been years since I even did that. Well, it, it's worth reading. You know, I kind of thought Bukowski was embellishing a little bit, but then I read like the story about Barbe Schroeder going into Menachem Golem's Golem's uh office with a chainsaw threatening to cut his hand off or something if he couldn't do the movie yes apparently that happened yeah apparently like that's it's all in the book and bukowski tells and i'm like okay bukowski's a weird drunk old guy you know he tells a a good story but uh, apparently a lot the stuff he talks about happened and he portrays mickey rourke as kind of a funky artist like kind of a uh, eccentric guy hard to get to know but it's worth reading if you love Barfly. It's worth uh, soldiering through that book. I think I read it in like a couple days. <laughs> yeah, was, I, I, so I don't fun. think it's a very jam-packed read. I, it seems fairly brief. I think I have a, an yeah. ebook on my phone too. Uh, yeah, Barfly might be a good one to cover in the future too. Yeah, Hans, sure. you, you might like that a bit more. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Far less gunfights in Barfly though. There's a lot of bar fights with Frank Stallone, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot Frank <laughs> Hell, yeah. Like, one of the main supporting characters in that film. Yeah, the, yeah. the climax of the movie. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That, that, that's that been this episode of Movies. Uh, where can people find you and your podcast, Hunter? You can find us at MidnightMovieCowboys.com. You can look us up on iTunes or whatever. Wherever you look up podcasts. We've been doing this show for a very long time, like 10 years or something. So, yeah, it's been a while uh, since we started it. Actually, what, it's 2021, so like 11 years. But, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a while since we started it. And, you know, it's just, just us BSing about movies, really. So it's fun. It's um, a it's a great show. I, I've been uh, tuning into it sporadically. You, you have uh, an episode up on, what was it, Berserker the Anime? Yeah, yeah. Berserk. Yeah, because Kentaro Mura uh, just passed away a few weeks ago. And, you know, that was an anime that was hugely important to me when I was in high school. And, you know, the comics were just totally different than any other manga you would read. It was right. just so dark and brutal and nasty. And um, just it was like a struggle, you know, a lot of suffering. You know, I'm Catholic, so I love suffering. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is so, beaten into you, yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, and so John loves like Elric and he loves Conan and he loves like brutal fantasy stuff. And he had never heard of Berserk. So I wanted to get him to watch it. And he really enjoyed it. I, I was kind of wasn't sure how he'd react to it, but he really enjoyed it. So, you know, that was pretty cool. And Hans, you said you checked it out recently, right? Weren't you complaining about the homoeroticism of some of the characters? Like yeah, the yeah, yeah. I think I, I watched the first movie, uh, and I just remember it being very guts, homo- uh, very of a, of a different time. Let's guts. say, <laughs> let's say whether Gut, guts and Griffith, you belong, yeah. you belong to me now. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. That's the 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 very very uh, thin, long haired. <laughs> 
guy that owns yeah. him. Yeah, Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, another another very Chimino esque male friendship. Uh, <clears throat> in, oh, in, yeah. in that almost in that abusive, movie. yeah. <laughs> but I gotta say the the next movie I think the first movie's the weakest, you know. Uh the the next I'm, one's real really good. I'm, I've also never never been like an anime person yeah. at all, so so it's also like that on top of everything. So I'm, I'm not very familiar with the medium, I guess. I think um, I think I, would all... oh, I was just gonna say I think I've been getting back into it because the state of movies has been so dire lately. So like, I've been yeah, just right. Wanting something else. <laughs> I, I also I I listened to and I I enjoyed the uh, episode on Spawn where you had. Uh, Zolly is the guest his extensive action figure knowledge. Yes. <laughs> we, we didn't spawn, but all we talked about was toys. You know? Yes. Because <laughs> he, he works at like a comic book shop or something. So he's got all the inside track on all that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can imagine. I mean, that was that was always like the big when I was, uh, you know, a teen going to the comic book shop. You always want to check out those Todd McFarlane toys or like the yeah. stands at yeah. $40 or whatever it might be. That was always the hot item. Well, the tour. The torture ones, where it was just people being tortured. I don't know if you remember those. I remember those. Yeah, he, he had he had a series where it was just people in like in like in like a torture, like being tortured. Yeah. That's it. And just like that's the action figure. Yeah, yeah, I remember those. No, uh, you know, I haven't purchased an action figure in decades, but I still have my McFarlane toys Akira figures from like back in high school. I have Akira sitting on the throne with his name and. I've got my Tetsuo one still somewhere. I've got them sitting around. I had no clue he even covered Akira. All I was really familiar with were, um, you know, the horror movie line, the movie. Oh yeah, from the nineties. Yeah, he did a line of anime ones, like he did some Trigun figures and whatever, all the stuff that was big in like the late nineties on yeah. DVD and stuff like that. He really carved out a market for doing those detailed. Uh, you know, sculptures uh, that nobody else was doing, you know, because the typical action figure market, like came, you go to Kmart, Walmart, and it's just soft, cheap plastic. Um, and then, you know, his were, were almost like photorealistic at times. They were so good. Yeah. And what was cool about the Akira ones was they had like, it seemed like they jumped out of the, the manga comics. Like they were so detailed and, you know, you'd see all like the weird tumors coming out of Tetsuo's arm, <laughs> you know? all the all the gross nasty stuff you know it's just perfect yeah so everybody should go check out the midnight movie cowboys podcast and uh hunter this has been a terrific show i'm so glad you came on we were able to have as much as we did uh to talk about the sicilian i was a little worried that you know it might be kind of scarce as far as uh discussion on the on this film goes but i think we did it justice i mean we did almost i think we we did two hours two and a half hours yeah Well, you know, it's an it's an un, it's an it's one of the lesser known Chimino films. But I would say if there's a Chimino movie you go watch that's lesser known, check out Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. You know, <laughs> that's a really good movie. Terrific. I, I, I think I will give that a watch in the uh, the Mickey Rourke one from the, the early 90s. Name is oh, yeah. me at the moment. Desperate but Hours. Yeah. Desperate Hours. Right. All right. That has been movies for this week. Go follow Hans on Twitter. H word name. And uh, you, you guys know where to where to find me. So uh, that's been movies for this week. Thank you for listening.